Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, and welcome to a special edition of the Play On Review I'm Joan Bastiani, as usual, and today I've got returning guest, Jason Morrison, here with me. How are you doing? I'm fantastic, Gemma. Thanks for having me back in this illustrious studio. <laughs> Thank you for coming. It's quite a mess at the moment. It's been, a, it's been a tough week for me, let's be honest. My car got destroyed by a kangaroo on the way up to Sydney to see the Swans play, which I then didn't get to go and see the Swans play. And then Football other- season has finished too. That's another... <sighs> it's sad. I'm not used to this. Just not used to it. Welcome to my world. <laughs> Welcome to my adult life. <laughs> but it's okay because I've been looking at AFLW player stats, mm. but also today we're going to be reviewing the non-finalists, the AFLM non-finalists, mm. team by team, going back, reflecting on what we previewed earlier in the season um, and just having a bit of a chat. And then once the whole season is over, we're going to get together again. And chat about the finalists. Final eight teams. Which is fun. When we met at the start of the year in March, I think it was, mm. uh, it was post AFLW starting season. The Ooh. finals was about to start That's because true. Carlton had just made it into it <laughs> and then ended up beating Fremantle and making it into the grand final. And that was stunningly. A, stunningly made it into the grand final, less stunningly losing the grand final, and uh, I was just saying to you earlier that it's taken me up until the last week or so to <laughs> emotionally be ready for AFLW again. I'm so excited for it, like out of my mind excited. <laughs> but shall we start to go through these teams? We're going to go team by team from the bottom of the ladder. We're doing the bottom 10 teams, um, and we're just yeah going to talk about mostly the players that we predicted mm. and things like that. So let's kick it off. One of the great things about going for Carlton is that on any of these lists, usually when the AFL each week does it's like, on you know, Damien Barrett does his flog piece of if, when, <laughs> um, et cetera, et cetera. You only have to get through three and you read the Carlton one. I'm like, well, I don't have to read anymore. I've read my one. <laughs> so, again, this year's another year where I get through the first three or four and then it's like, oh, well, I'm done. I can, <laughs> you know, everyone else is there, but. <laughs> no, <laughs> another year. Next year, not so much. You'll have to wait until the finals for. Anyway, let's. I reckon so. Let's. Uh... But we're starting with Gold Coast Suns because they did come 18th. Um, 
So who was your player to watch preseason? I can't even remember. Yeah, I went through all my notes the other night and, and listened back to those episodes we did to kind of see what insights and what great uh, foresight we had. And we yeah. had some pretty average foresight and some pretty spot-on ones. Um, my player to watch, uh, I did look, mine was uh, talking about Isaac Rankin's oh. highlights in the JLT and how impressed we were. And, and then for him not to play... <laughs> For the duration of the season, you know, I think he might have been able to come back in the last. He played a couple of kneeful games. Yeah, but he didn't. He didn't get a chance to come back. So, no. you know, I think, you know, rising star for him next year. At least it wasn't. That's true. Another, you know, the the pool we had, the the top five rising star. Like they said, it was a super draft last year, and you look at the talent in the top five, and. You know the fact that Nick Blakey didn't even make the top five. Yeah, what does that tell you? That's like, and he was fantastic. So, um, yeah, we'll leave him in there for next year when the draft <laughs> isn't as strong. So we'll come back and we'll maybe we'll make that as a big profit call. Yes, for next <laughs> How good's year. Footy profit call. That's it. Shout out to the How Good's Footy. <laughs> um, mine was Alex Sexton, and mm. I feel pretty good about this one because he started the season really strongly, kind of like. The team did, and I felt kind of vindicated with this call. He did fall away a little bit as the season went on, but he provided kind of a spark in their front half at times when they were kind of begging for it. And his accuracy probably could have made his season look a little bit better than it did in the end. But I think he does need to be a bit more consistently involved in games, but he's the kind of small forward you want buzzing around King and Lukosius as they develop as key forwards. So I think out of all their players, probably... If we could have been more correct picking Darcy McPherson, I think he was their breakout and most consistent player this year. Yeah. And I saw someone with all the MVP awards, the AFL MVP awards, um, how each club, the players nominate three players from their club, yeah. blah, blah, blah. It's a great and, way to do it. It yeah. really is. And Darcy McPherson was nominated for Gold Coast alongside David Swallow and... Jared Witts, who were their captains, yep. um, which I thought was very fair because he had a stunning season. He started in the half-back line and moved forward. He was really damaging in games, and he never fell away in games. But then I saw someone tweet complaining that, oh, you know, it's a flawed system when Darcy McPherson is eligible for this award and Patrick Dangerfield isn't. It's like it's just a differently structured award. Also, you're taking away from what Darcy McPherson did just because he is up on the Gold Coast in a team that is struggling. Yeah. It's much easier to look like a better player when everyone else around you is lifting you up as well. Mm. But to be the guy that's stepping up every single week alongside David Swallow and being really important, I think he deserves credit for what he did. And there's not enough talk about what he did this year, I don't think. Yeah. And I think that, like he's mentioned, and I think we mentioned at the start of the year too with a few of the teams like Gold Coast and GWS, is that because they're not in Melbourne, that bottom bracket of players just isn't known. Yeah. So when you see a name pop up like that, you kind of go, I've never heard of him before. Yeah. Um, you know, I don't – I watch a bit of football. I think you watch more than footy than I do. But even then, like, I've watched a few G- Gold Coast Suns games and you're kind of like – not a name that no. I kind of recognise. You know, all the yeah. other players – like all the other ones you've mentioned and, um, you know, you, you, oh, yeah, I recognise those names. Wouldn't recognise them on the street but recognise – yeah. As a as a top yeah, he's he's definitely under the Yeah. Well not anymore, I don't think. He he deserves to have a little bit more attention paid to him now, I think. And I think uh you were, I think when we did talk about Alex Sexton a bit at the start of the season and kicked 
40 goals? He was leading, goals. Yeah, he was leading the Coleman for a mm. period of time. There, they started out of the blocks. Yeah. Like, first month was very, was very solid. Yeah. Um, and admittedly, one of those was that game against Carlton, which I was, <laughs> like, extremely frustrated. I was watching at the pub and it was – I had a um, – our friend's child on my lap in that last <laughs> minute and just was like, I have to not have this kid on my knee. <laughs> and I'm very glad I didn't because I threw my beanie across the room and, and I was like, not that I would have thrown the child but <laughs> at all, but it's just sometimes you just need to go, I need to remove myself yeah. from this situation because... That's me standing up off the couch instead of sitting there. I need to stand up so that I can move more freely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, go, yeah. So... We also chose a player to fall out of favour, and that's how we worded I think it was more player under pressure, which mm. was more what we were doing. Who was yours? I can't remember. I didn't have a specific one because I'm not, I wasn't as cr- across the Gold Coast list um, as, again, for the reasons I mentioned, like there's the bottom end side of things, I'm not really... Also, there were no Gold Coast games on free-to-air in Victoria at all this season. That's why I have KO, so I can watch as many Gold Coast I mean. Suns games as possible. <laughs> For people that don't have any sort of subscription service, mm. you just don't see them. Yep. So you just don't know who these players are. You yeah. don't under, like, And that's why I think fans or passive footy fans can get so... Um, misled at times yep. by the noise from the media. Because I, I think the media is so over the top all the time. For people that don't actually sit down and watch this team play, mm. they feel so dramatically about it because that's what they're being fed. But the reality is, yeah, they had a few p- really poor losses. But I don't think it's a team that is in absolute crisis. It's a team that... It's not a team that's in crisis on the field. I can't speak no. about off the field. We don't yeah. know what's... How the me- mechanics of that are happening, but Tony Cochran on the field, like Carlton have been in that parallel situation for a fair period of time. So I've got a lot of empathy for yeah. Gold Coast Suns and their fans, yeah, because they won three games this year. We won two last year. Like we're in exactly the same spot. People just need to chill out. And you just yeah, it's behind the scenes which none of us know. Mm. None of us can control. Yeah. We can't control on the field as well, but. That's what we can see. So uh, I think that their on-field stuff, if you look at the second half of the year and losing those multiple 70-plus point losses, you look at Carlton last year, we got rolled and rolled and rolled in that last half of the year as people got tired, as injuries piled on. As young players had to pick up the slack. That's it. And I think I said about Brisbane last year that my take was they would do well in the first half to two-thirds and then drop off because of the younger kids. Well, that didn't happen. (laughs) Um, But the the Gold Coast definitely suffered from that. Yeah. You know, you look at – they had the Cardiac Kids title repurposed. (sighs) I love them. And I think that – for those who aren't across, like it's a America, it's a uh, NFL term, which was then obviously repurposed, like Miracle on Grass, yep. Miracle on Ice, um, and I don't know why they didn't call it Miracle on McGrath. <laughs> I don't know why no one's ever said that. Anyway, um, we've talked too much about Brisbane here. Um, but basically, the point was is that that first start was great, similar to the year before, and when we were listening to it, we highlighted that the start of twenty eighteen. Started well, had a lot of travel because of the Commonwealth Games and then faded off. So Stuart Jew's got a good foundation yep. and I think he'll keep building on that. And if they add an extra 
two or three wins this year coming and cut back some of those losses, much like Carlton did, cut yep. back some of the big losses, be a bit more competitive. You might not win six or seven, but... You see the change in percentage, and that can be everything at times. That's it, yeah. Um, my player to fall out of favour was Peter Wright, or player to be under pressure was mm. Peter Wright. I, I thought he really needed to become a leader amongst a club that didn't have a lot of leaders. Yep. Um, I think... He, despite missing a few games, he did actually step up in a few moments, becoming a key target for Agreed. the Suns, whether it was on the wing or whether it was up forward yep. for them. Um, and I, I think that he covered a lot of ground as well. So we all know that he's this in, really good endurance player, but we haven't really seen it on the field. Mm. I think this year he really kind of took that next step, yep. becoming that guy who was like, okay, no one else is going to do it. It's got to be me. And not just on the field performance-wise, but on the field as a bit of a cult character for yeah. Gold Coast Suns. You know, yeah. There are plenty of players over two metres, but to get like two-metre Peter and everyone kind of like... Latches onto latches it. Latches onto yeah. it. And there's no... I don't haven't heard anyone who's like, oh, Peter Wright, uh, he's got a, a rough-shaped head, but that's the only <laughs> negative thing I can find about him. It, um, I stood next to him at the airport lounge oh, did you? Uh, last week making toasties. And he's a very tall man. <laughs> I'm a tall guy, and this is like, yeah, he's got a good, good, uh, good few inches on me. And... Amazing. Um, I, I just think from here he needs to keep growing. He can't rest on his laurels. He needs to keep growing in yep. that, not height wise, but in terms <laughs> of this, this was a really positive step for him. He needs to keep taking those steps in the yep. seasons coming. Um, season highlight for you? We've kind of touched on them. I think the first month and getting that. Cardiac Kids title yeah. and getting that kind of – building a bit of a – not a reputation, but building a little bit of a um, neutral fans like, oh, okay, this there's something like – People that, wanting to switch it on. There's a little bit of a thing happening here and, and it's – Gold Coast just needs a few more of those things that yeah. like people want to be engaged with as a neutral fan. Yeah. Um, uh, we, mine- we talked about Sexton – um, we yeah. talked about the fact that they're in finals after the first month, six weeks. Um, it's obviously sad to see the way that it panned out, but you know, there's, there's such a there's so much happening in there, yeah, um, in their sphere that um, you know. I don't. I think I wouldn't be opposed to them having the pick. Like yeah. they just need, and then tra- trading it off for look if Bergon and Eddie Betts go to them for a couple of like experienced bodies with good leadership and like the young kids, people, everybody looks up to both of them. I don't think there's too many bad words about either of those players. And I think that's if AFL gives Gold Coast those trades, that's probably how it's going to. Yeah. I think the other thing is the supplementary period that was new this year where you could sign mature aged Mm. um, draftees in that time that worked really well for them because between Josh Corbett, Sam Collins and um, Chris Burgess, they all had a really big impact on the team, whether yep. it was up forward or in defence, particularly in areas of the ground where they had a lot of injuries. So I think those guys are only going to get better for mm. them. And particularly Sam Collins and Chris Burgess, I think those guys. Corbett, um, I think, is still a little bit young and a little bit inconsistent, but the other guys really held their own. And because they came in already as big bodies, they didn't need a lot of time to develop. That helped them impact. But my season highlight was actually the emergence of Ben King. We had all, we kind of had to wait till the second half of the year and all the talk is around Rankin and Lukosius because they yep. went one and two or two and three and that was the talk. But Ben King was really exciting for me because the idea that this guy, he's tall, he can take contested marks, he's a smart footballer, that is really exciting. And 
as soon as he came in, he had that impact. He was taking contested marks back with the flight of the ball in all sorts of positions. And then he kicked straight, which is a big thing mm. as well because we, we see a lot of teams, and we'll touch on it later when we talk about St Kilda in particular, there are teams that just kick themselves out of games, whereas Ben King came up and was like, okay, I'm the guy. I'm going to be the guy up forward. In a depleted forward line, I'm yep. going to be the guy. And he's the kind of forward that you can build a team around. Um, yeah, just the combination of his smarts, his skill and his courage. Um, it, it's really exciting. I think he is the kind of guy that you're like, yep, yeah, that's the future of the club right there. Let me just... When you're saying about that, I'm looking at his uh, stats as we speak. So he kicked 17 9. Yeah. So that's, you know, in the second two half out of the three year. In the 14 games. So, you know, that's a pretty good start. Yeah. In a team that is, and, and he really only played when they were being, like, hurt. Mm. Um, he didn't ever drop his head. He's the kind of guy that will become a captain kind of guy. I think that – and Lukosius, I really liked what he did, but he's a different sort of player, whereas Ben King was like, okay, I'm going to carry this on my shoulders. Yeah. I – to transition to the next one. one the low the, light? The low light. He's <laughs> a Ben King low light. I'm, I feel like he's taken the spot of um, Tom Lynch, both literally and – I'm not a big Tom Lynch fan. I think he's a flog. Massive flog. And my girlfriend and I have a regular thing every time the ball comes near him. It's just F Tom Lynch. In a <laughs> not in a like in a negative derogatory way, but just I, I've and I think Ben King's taken that spot. Uh I think Ben King's a bit of a you know, he's a young player and I'm not gonna speak too hardly on him, but watching him try and punch uh Lockie Plowman in the head and missing and hitting his own teammate. <laughs> very good, very fulfilling. And then for Lockie Plowman to get the film the, the film clip, the free kick because <laughs> like uh, that kind of summed up their year. Like they they tried, and they just didn't missed. Then missed. Yeah, <laughs> they tried, but they didn't didn't get their intended target. Um, and a couple of things I've seen at Ben King. While all the things you said are correct, I'm also like uh, could be a bit of an upcoming flog. We need you know you need up and coming flogs. You need your you need your Tom Hawkinses and your Tom Lynches and your you know. Um, uh, what's his name from GWS? The Jeremy Cameron. G- no, no, not Jeremy Toby Cameron. Green. Toby Green. You need those guys in there who will probably be really nice if you were to meet them at the pub. My low light was their back-to-back 90-point losses in round 16 and 17 mm. because despite their win-loss record, they'd been in games and they'd been competitive for large portions of them and they'd shown improvement on last year. Yeah. But those two games felt like a huge step backwards for them. And after those two games, they got back into the rhythm that they were in before. But those two just felt like you were, you were going so much better than this. You didn't need for this to happen. Yeah. They just, I, I think losing a lot of their key defenders didn't help this because they came up against sides with very big, potent forward lines in these two weeks in Richmond and Adelaide. But like not having Rory Thompson, players like that... Um, Collins got or Burgess got injured for the rest of the season. They just mm. kept losing men in their defensive line, which didn't help. And then you add to that round 22 and 23 when Ben Brown kicked a bag and Jeremy Cameron kicked a bag. Yeah. And while that's exciting to see in current football, you kind of say, you know, 
did at Gold Coast. They just they just had no defenders left. Yeah. Charlie Ballard tried to play, was was forced to play much bigger than he is, mm. um, just because they were undermanned. So getting those things right, I think, is really important. And going into general feelings about the season, I think they're one of the couple of clubs that really need to look at their fitness and conditioning staff and their rehab staff. Yep. And we'll touch on this a couple of times still in this group of teams that we're going to talk about. But if they can't get their injury issues right, like an ACL you can't help, but a lot of their soft tissue stuff, yep. players just weren't getting back on the park. And this has been an issue for them since they began. Their, their soft tissue injuries are taking a lot longer to rehab or they're reoccurring much worse than we see at top-tier clubs. Yep. If they can get that right, then Stuart Dew can have some consistency in the team mm. that he's putting out every week, and then you can build something from there. But until you can actually consistently get your senior guys out on the park, your big guys that are meant to be supporting those younger guys, you're never going to get anywhere. And that's that's something that I think the traditional media in Australia, and again, we're going to talk about this when we get to Melbourne as well, but traditional media in Australia are like head coach's fault, that's it. But the reality is he's on, he can only work with the players he's got. I don't, I don't think that people are out there saying, well... Not about Stuart reason, Dew, but reasonable, reasonable media. There are plenty of, you know, fringe nuffies that are saying all sorts of crazy things. But the, the core is, I don't think Stuart Dew's under the pump for no. a while because it's an understood... It's a known. But I think it's just the general... That's my general feeling about fitness and conditioning is it's an issue that doesn't get talked about when we talk about issues at clubs. Anyway, I, I just went off on a tangent there, but I think if, if Gold Coast can get that right, they're going to improve and we're going to talk about improved decline or plateau in 2020. Yeah. Um, I think they improve not necessarily on the ladder, but in terms of percentage and maybe win a couple yep. more games. But I think on the whole, this season was kind of terrible. Like, for a lot of it, there were no good teams, there were no bad teams. It was just everyone was terrible. There was no consistency, nothing. So I think next year we're going to see a lot of improvement across the board. Yep. I think, yeah, Gold Coast improve in terms of their percentage and their maybe their win-loss, but maybe not in terms of ladder position. Yeah. Thoughts? Yeah, I'd say the same. I just had a slow improve. I, I don't think we're going to see them, you know, we might see them come out of the blocks with all of the, the particularly younger and greener players being ready to go and have... Franken coming in. Yep. But I, I think like this year and like last year, it might be longer than a month. It might be eight weeks yep. where they are sitting, you know, four and four or five and three. And I think then we'll kind of see some of those bigger losses. But it'll. I think it's... Just, if everything's going okay off field and things are starting to stabilize, which again we don't know, then that window will get a bit bigger and a bit stronger until after a period of time, another two or three years, when they might actually start getting closer to a fifty-fifty yeah. um, thing. And if they get some of these more experienced players up doing a similar role to a Hodgie, like I think Bergwijn was offered a allegedly two years in a playing and one years coaching, which would be an ideal That'd kind of scenario for, for them. them. He'd yeah. be the perfect kind of guy. Um, we spoke about in the first one about um, the game we were looking forward to, and I think we're talking yeah. – I, I called it round one was the battle for the wooden spoon versus St Kilda. And while that wasn't quite right – It was a great game. Great game. St Kilda won by one point. 
So you go from there at round one and then at round 13 they played again and it was only four-point loss. So yeah. you know, in that period of time, if you kind of use that as a marker and then you get to 23 and it was the 72-point loss to them and North Melbourne, you know, you kind of use those as the markers for the um, the year. So, um, you yeah. know, we did make the call that Gold Coast win a premiership before GWS and it's... So we is not correct. You. <laughs> I didn't write down who said it. I've just got it down it here. It was as a definitely quote. not me. <laughs> um, should we talk about Melbourne? Let's move on to Melbourne. So Melbourne ended up finishing seventeenth, winning five games with a percentage of seventy eight point six percent, which is wildly different to ninety nine percent of preseason predictions. My my prediction they dropped from. I think I had them finishing third uh, in my preseason. Sorry, yeah. I should say that I had Gold Coast finishing at 18th in my preseason one, and they're one or two. I got 100% correct in my ladder. I, yeah, I did Rangers, so I had Gold Coast 16 to 18. Yeah. Melbourne, I had top four. Yeah. So let's, so let's talk about the players first, and then we can talk about the season. Who was your player to watch? I had, uh, I had down where my sheet here. I've, I've lost my little. Thing here, um, I had Max Gorn potentially, you know, being up there for the Brownlow again. Yeah, and I think he is. He's in that top bracket. Well, he's all Australian. All Australian. Um, he and Grundy just swapped spots this year. Yeah, which I think for the way that their teams performed, fair is a fair statement. And his photo, that team photo, and and Gorn's face, just like I'm here, but he's shattered. It's it's not what I want. It's not what I wanted. His speech at the best and fairest for Melbourne last year was really amazing. It was like, okay, the, you this needs a burn in you and we need to take this into next year and go one better. Mm. And he, I think he should be the captain of that club at this point. Like the way he talks about the club, he posted on Instagram yesterday something about, okay, this is over, 2020 starts that, now. Yeah. Like he is so invested in that club. It feels like he needs to be the captain. And that's nothing against Nate Jones or anything like that, but – Max Gorn feels like the captain of that club. He's the leader. Yeah. He's the on-field leader. Anyway. Spiritual leader, if you will. Yes. Uh, mine was Christian Salem. Um, I think he, behind Max Gorn, I think he was Melbourne's most consistent player. He uses the ball really beautifully out of the back half. He has a really cool head. He doesn't panic. Um, the games that he missed this season, I think you really felt his loss. And he'll continue to be an important member of the back line in terms of bringing about consistency. He was one of the few consistent players in Melbourne's backline, which we'll touch on when we get to general feeling about the season because I have many general feelings about Melbourne's season. Yeah. But um, in a backline that didn't have much consistency, he he was a very steady head back there. Um, my player to fall out of favour was Jordan Lewis, which um, his season kind of went about as we expected. He wasn't a walk-up start into the best 22, yep. even when the team had a lot of injuries. Um, he obviously has announced his retirement. Uh, the thing, And that was a lovely touch with him and Ruffy, like, yeah, that interviewing was each. That was very sweet. Yeah. Um, but I think the thing that we didn't expect from him this season was his inclusion as a defensive forward. I think he played that role very, very well in the couple of games that he did play that role. So that was kind of nice to see him have an impact in a different way late in the season. Um, who was your player to fall out of favour? Or player uh, under the pressure? Sh- 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 I'm really trying to find my... How is your spreadsheet that much of a mess, mate? It's not a mess, but I just can't find this particular uh, 
this particular part. I didn't actually have one for Melbourne, so there's my. Uh, there you go. That's that's why I I I don't know why I didn't. Anyway, so <laughs> lack of preparation. But um, <laughs> do you have a season highlight? Season highlight. It's a very minor one. Yeah. And one of my favourite ones was Hannon's kick versus Carlton that stopped on the line. Killed me, which hadn't. I love you, but oh my god, it's one how of those, did that just stop? It was just like I remember watching it at the time and going, It's not really a, a highlight per se, but if in terms of highlight packages, yeah, highlight, and it's just well, they won that game as well, they won the game, which is great, which Close is one of the one. handful handful of games that they won. But, um, I just <laughs> and then there was this, then there was a 50 meter penalty after it just because, oh. um. I've forgotten who it was off the top of my head, but kicked the goal back to the like the guy behind the goal who collects the balls. Yeah. And then not, I'm not going to say that when you're game because you're already up at that point, but yeah. that then like it was one nuts. Um. So and it was yeah, it was weird weather as well, and it yeah. was a weird day. I was I was at the game and it was just like oh, I don't even know what's going. Well, on. Well, I was watching it on TV and the way it was shot. Once it stopped, you couldn't see who was coming for the ball. That was brilliant cinematography. cinematography. But for me, who loves to see what's going on, it annoyed <laughs> me to no end. The director of that was like, that was just to see, I think it was Simo it was and... Andrew Bra- uh, 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 Gus Brayshaw, Angus Brayshaw. Angus Brayshaw, yeah. Just out of nowhere, both sliding was just... I was like, like someone's going to break their leg, someone's going to break their leg. It was... It was great footage. It and was it was great behind anyway. It was Bloody hell, Mitch. Kick it one metre further. So uh, um, good on them for the win. <laughs> my season highlight was the rise of their mature-aged recruits um, in an unstable team that was crueled by injuries. I think we saw Bailey Fritch, obviously, from last year. He really stood up, particularly in the second half of the season. But Marty Hoare and Jay Lockhart, they both stepped up as well. Marty Hoare was so important for most of the season in that defensive line which, as I said, had very little consistency about it. He even broke his collarbone. Yeah. Um, but Lockhart's foot skills, particularly going forward, was something that really stood out as well. Um, Melbourne had this terrible habit this year of terrible inside 50s and that would just rebound. They would get mm. so many inside 50s and it would come straight back out every time. Lockhart really knew how to find a target and hit it. And then he kicked goals himself. Um, and then obviously Bailey Fritch, his high marking, his ability to plug the hole wherever they need. He could play tall. He could play small. He's really exciting. And it was just building on what he showed us he could do last year. So last year he started forward, had to go back. This season he spent a lot of time in defense and then went forward late and had an impact. If he could just clean up his kicking in front of goal, he I, I think he's going to be close to the top Three in their best and fairest this year, yeah. And this is a guy who got plucked late out of the out of the VFL last year, and put in and played nearly every single game last year, and then did the same this year. So good on good on that. I think mature age recruits are always are, are becoming more of a trend now as well. I think people are seeing the results. Who would have thought, Michael Gibbons? Having, Michael Gibbons. Who would have thought that having players who have got built bodies? Yep. And experienced heads may not be the fastest or the most flashy, but of ground out in the seconds, yeah, getting the call up will have a positive effect on a team that needs those things. Yeah, well, look at Marty Hoare against Gold Coast. That absolute clutch goal that a defender kicks with 30 seconds left on the clock, mm. that was amazing. And that 
wouldn't have happened for a guy that if if he didn't have the experience in the seconds that he did. So I think that was big. But low light, <laughs> I've written all of it. But let's talk about the injuries here. I think this is this is something that gets glossed over in terms of Melbourne's season this year. Well, we talked about this at the start of the year and we're going through – I've got the injury list from the start of the year here yeah. and there's multiple that are – first game who are four weeks plus. Well, let's go through them and I'll tell you who actually ended up playing a game this season. Okay, this is from pre-round one. Yep. So, Bailey Fritch. Yeah, he played but came in late. Yep, corked hip. Probably interrupted. Uh, Jay Uh, Kennedy-Harris. He played late in the season. Shouldn't be on the list. Uh, Lever. He played, I think, four games. Barely played. And I think that's... We'll probably talk more about after is they... Some of those... Bigger names that they got in that didn't barely play. Barely played. Um, Tim Smith. He played, I think, five games. Kolodajny. Two games. Kolodajny. Kolodajny. Garlett. None. And delisted. Uh, Hannon. Uh, he played three games, four games. Yep. Jones. He. He actually had a very good season mm. in a team that wasn't doing very well. It was just saying I corked half here, so it's probably only yeah. a couple of weeks. Um, side note, and I realise this the more I watch Melbourne throughout the year, Nathan Jones – actually, no, I think I've got my players mixed up. I'll get back to that in a second because <laughs> I'll say it. You know, it is Nathan Jones. It looks like a male porn star. Like with the bald head and the tattoos and just the way his body is, <laughs> looks like a male porn star. I thought it would be football related. <laughs> no, not a football. I have a lot of non-football related commentary. Uh, Melksham. Uh, yeah, he played four games. Uh, Vandenberg? Zero. Viney? Oh, he played most of the season. I'm gonna, his injury at the start of the season corked Iliot, Iliot Beal Band. I have no idea what that is. Band? I don't know. I might give it a... Um, Google. A Google while uh, on the break. Uh, May, he says he was out for suspension. Oh, but... he played maybe five games. He was amazing, though. Yeah. Uh, Harms, Bruce and Smith... Joel Smith didn't make it on the park, and his dad wants to sue the club for their handling of his injury. Um, Harms played a lot of the season. He was fantastic. And Pruce was in and out of the side, but he, that was not injury. That was team structure. Yeah. Um, but then think about... It was that, that great clip of where, I think it was, um, was it Jones or was it one of the other guys going, oh, you know, he was, he was injured, he couldn't play in the seconds, and then Max Gorn in a parallel doorstop interview was like, oh, yeah, he had a good game in the seconds. <laughs> Just saying completely opposite yeah. things on on what, uh, on what Priest is. Very funny little clip. But then you think Tom McDonald injured, missed half of the season. Mm. Um, Neville Jetta yep. played barely any games because he was injured. And last year he was a nice little He was rocket. He's one of the best small defenders in the comp. Um, Michael Hibbard. Broke his clavicle out for a large portion of the season. Marty Hoare broke his collarbone out for a large portion of the season. Melbourne's injuries absolutely crueled them this year. Mm. And you can talk about, um, yeah, everyone had injuries, blah, blah, blah. At some times, Melbourne's best 22 was the 22 sitting on the sidelines. They never got their best team on the park. And... Coming into a season completely underdone because they had something like half of their players go in for surgery in the off season, mm. and which, a lot of those names we mentioned are, in, if they yeah. weren't the minor soft tissue ones and were available, were four weeks plus. Yeah, and that was at the start of the season. That's not. Yeah, the fact that Aaron Vandenberg was a no show all season, 
even in preseason. How does that keep happening? Mm. The fact that Joel Smith hurt his hip in the preseason game, they left him on the field in a preseason game and then wasn't even even able to play seconds this year. What is going on? The fact that David Mission was already planning on moving on, if he wasn't, he would have been fired. He wouldn't have kept his job with the way that this happened. The way it's been. And there's all this talk about how Simon Goodwin's a terrible coach. He's this, is that. Sorry, Simon Goodwin did what he could with a team that had yeah. the, he didn't have any consistency. The back line in particular, Stephen May, Jake Lever and Michael Hibbert, they're your key points of your back line. They maybe played two games with all three of them in. Mm. Two? And it really goes to speak of how close the competition is. Yeah. Is that you lose, you know, 20% of your starting team and of your of your top end talent, or maybe not 20%, you know what I mean? You use a, a yeah. portion of your top talent and then a solid portion of that mid, then you drop so far back. Because it wasn't as though they, you know, I, I was at the Queen's birthday game and you go, okay, there was some spark there. And then I think it was the third quarter they pushed Collingwood and then Collingwood, like a lot of games, went, okay, we'll, we'll turn it up again now yeah. and, and ran it home. So it's not like they weren't competitive in a lot of spots until... They you know. gave up... They, they consistently gave up a lot of goals in short periods of time. And that continued... And their spread, particularly early in the season, I, mean, I went to a lot of their games, sitting at the top at the G and, and places like that. You can see that their spread wasn't there because they weren't, they yep. weren't conditioned to play. They weren't ready for this season. Mm. And combination of... It was the first time they played an extra month of football in 12 years, all of these injuries, and then not quite being ready at the start of the season. They were on the back foot the whole time. They lost confidence in the back half. We know Melbourne are a confidence team, and when they're on a roll, they're very hard to beat. But when they don't have their confidence, they fall away and they have these little issues like Clayton Oliver yelling at Bailey Fritch and things like that. Melbourne started on the back foot and they were never coming back from that. And then to add to that, and part of it is the actual cause, like not the cause, but part of it is a symptom and part of it is a result of all of those things. And then a part of it is confidence is that they were halfway through the season, don't have the final year stats, but they were kicking it. 25% in, from terrible. inside 50s. It was terrible. Like, and that, I dare say that that stat probably didn't change a huge amount. It still would have been sitting in that. But I think this had a lot to do with as well. Their forward options were almost non-existent. Mm. So Sam Wiedemann barely played a game as well. Like their, their leading goal kicker for this season was Jaden Hunt, who was incredible being put forward. I think that was a genius move, Jaden Hunt going forward. But realistically... Who were their forwards they were kicking to? Tom McDonald he had one game of good form before getting injured and being out for the rest of the season. Who were they kicking it to up forward? Jaden Hunt and Braden Proust for two games. They had no one there. Tim Smith, when he was in for five, four or five games. Yep. Who were they kicking it to? So their kicking forward was poor, but also their forward options weren't there. Mm. So we need to consider how much of an impact... In of unavailable players had on this whole team structure. On that though, Jaden Hunt going forward, I think that was an amazing move. I said that, but also Sam Frost had the best season of his career. And there are a lot of Melbourne fans that don't like Sam Frost. And I 
understand because I'm he, he can be quite frustrating. He can make some poor decisions at times. But he had a breakout year this season. And if you don't want to acknowledge that, then you're not a good supporter of Melbourne. But he really saved a couple of games for Melbourne. Yep. And his dash off halfback and his ball use improved so much this year that he was one of the guys that stepped up when all the other senior defenders were out. Yeah. So I wanted to give him a shout out because in a in a bad year for the club, he had a very, very good year. And I wouldn't be surprised if he was top five of their best and fairest this year. Well, he was one of only four or five players, uh, six players that played all games yeah. this year and averaged, I think it was about... 14 disposals or so. And his intercept marking was great, but his ground ball and then dash from that ground ball was crucial. Otherwise, Melbourne would have lost a lot more games by a lot more. Like if uh, Just looking on footy tables as we're chatting, you look at the 1%, they've got the 1%ers column there, and, you know, majority of their players are kind of, you know, McDonald's 82. Oscar McDonald? Oscar McDonald. Uh, Gorn 77, Sam Frost 116. And that just shows like he was just in a team that was doing rough. He was just scrapping it. He and was he just, was in a defensive line that was copying it constantly. Yep. Just, yeah. So big praise for Sam Frost. Um, improved decline of plateau in 2020. I've got, it's hard to go backwards for them from this year. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think that they can after... Fin- deep in the finals last year to, you know, for th- four games? Five games. Five games. Um, but the question is, will they do what Adelaide did and kind of have another year of, like, if they can rectify the things, you know, you look at Adelaide who didn't after 2017 and spent a couple of years, like, in the doldrums, even though they missed out on, by fi- barely missed out on finals, but it's still not a good kind of situation there yeah or if it's going to be like a Richmond or Brisbane and take a year to and then back up again how long whether it's going to be a one year back up to a finals or two um it just depends on what happens again another thing where it's what's going to happen behind the scenes because like you said about Gorn is like I'm 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 working my guts out and some of these players are working their guts out but if the players who have had injuries throughout the year have been looked after and can be brought back in the next month or so to have a good preseason. There's no reason why they can't really get back to a yeah. finals next year. You know, be be contending. But if they don't get those things, then they're going to be another year of yeah seventeenth, sixteenth, fifteenth. And I I think they will improve drastically. I think having David Mission moved on will have a big impact on that. New fitness and conditioning staff. Mm. A lot of these guys that kind of got put on ice with a few weeks to go because they um, they weren't going to make finals, so there was no point trying to get them back totally. on the park. Yep. So guys like Mitch Hannon, Neville Jetta, Tom McDonald, guys like that will be, and Stephen May will likely save for re-injury, will be available for full preseason. So things like that, I think, are bright. Yep. The idea, and I don't like getting too much into trade speculation because there's so much rubbish around, but the idea of them adding Ed Langdon to that list is super exciting as well. He will add that outside spark to balance out the inside grunt players that they've got, like James Harms, like Nathan Jones, like Clayton Oliver. 
So that kind of balance would be perfect. I don't think they need to add too much to their list. They just need to get their list fit. Yep. So I think they will shoot back up the ladder. And I think this will be the year that really kicks them in the ass to get up there as well. And it'll probably, off-season, it'll probably end up being a, okay, well, this was not... Well, not that they wouldn't be saying that internally, but if the players don't drive... That change. The change to do the extra kilometres, to do the extra sessions, to do the uh, extra hard work, then... um, I think that's going to where it has to spend from for Melbourne, I think. Yeah. Because I think that's what it was last year. It, it feels like that was very much Yeah. they just – once they got the confidence and they were like, we can do this and we're up and about. They need to have a few sparks early in the season to be able to give them the momentum into the back half of the season. Yeah. That's something they didn't get this year. Um, should we move on so this doesn't go too long? Because we've only done two teams out of ten. Um, <laughs> I did say they would finish third, and you said they'd finish in the top four. I said top four, yeah. Um, that's probably my biggest change in the season for, for my letter. Same, actually. I think these four teams are going to take us the longest, and then we'll be able to power through the others <laughs> because these are two out both of our teams and then two teams that I love, so... Hence my aggression about Melbourne just then. Um, should we move to Carlton though? So Carlton, I'll did... let you start for Carlton, and I'll start yeah? for Sydney, and then we'll fill in oh the God. gaps respectively. Um, so Carlton finished sixteenth, winning seven games, losing fifteen, um, and had a pers- really honourable percentage of eighty four point five percent. I had anticipated they'd finish sixteen to eighteen, so sixteen is within the range. And I'd said fourteen. So. Yeah, so we're not not far off. Um, my player to watch was Nick Newman. X Swan, I think he was a brilliant inclusion to Carlton's backline, and he really steadied them, particularly with Simpson missing a few games, and obviously Doherty out of the side for the year again. Mm. Um, he proved his vers- versatility. He slipped forward, kicked goals too. Had a game where he kicked four. Loved it. Big fan. Um, I think he was a really important addition to Carlton's list. He's one of those guys who's a mid-age player but has been in the system for a long time, yep. having been a rookie at the Swans and done a lot of knee for work in a professional club like the Swans. That coming into Carlton, his experience was really valuable, not just on the field but in terms of just general club stuff. Yep. So I think he kind of lived up to being a player to watch. Absolutely. What was yours? Uh, I'd said other than Cripps and Walsh, which <laughs> like before the season, we kind of knew what we were getting from, well, not a hundred percent from Walsh. We yeah. knew that he would be great and we knew that Cripps would be fantastic. And turns out that Cripps was elite and Walsh was superb. Um, the awards season this last week has gone to highlight that, you know, yeah. rising star, AFLPA, uh, best first year player, you know, all Australian. AFL MVP. Again. AFL MVP, Walsh. Was probably a little bit out to get all Australian nod. I think he might have been close to a. He might have been in the top fifty or sixty. I feel for a extended extended squad. Yeah. Um. Just his consistency every week, averaging twenty five to thirty disposals, like playing in a team that struggled at times. Yeah. Um. I I put down that Fisher and Samo, Zach Fisher and Sam Petrescu Seaton would would be to watch. I feel like it. Points that had some really fantastic games, but I don't think they really set the competition alight. And that's probably as much as the way the team was going as their personal performances. But again, a lot of consistency from those third to fourth year players. I think they're both fourth year this year off the top of my head, maybe third. Um, But ones to watch external to that, um, Newman spot on, perfect fit, exactly what we needed. 
um, really took the spot of Doherty. Yeah. And I think that Doherty coming back in, um, we had Jones injured for a lot of the year with the concussion and then with a broken neck. Um, well, it was, wasn't it not his neck? It was his throat. His larynx. There's his two larynx. players in the last month that Which is the larynx. But yeah. then also Ed Kerner had a similar injury that got him out. Last for year, I think it two was. Two years ago. He had a throat actual throat issue though like yeah. a voice box etc that's why it talks and laughs quite amusingly it's like <laughs> I'm such a fan of Ed Kerner he looks I like Steve-O him. we might have had this conversation at the start it's Steve-O from Jackass if you compare the pair it's, I don't uh, know who that is sorry um, I well think... you mentioned Liam Jones he was my player that would be under the pump because mm. I think he had that really good year it was a patch of probably 12 games. Yeah, you did get stuck into him at the start of the year. I don't think I got stuck into him, but I think he, last year he didn't live up to the expectation that we had on him from the year before. Yeah. But this year I think he was completely brilliant. And and, and what my take on that is, is that because he had a good defence around him, he's more of the, not the floating play, but he's the guy who will come from the side. Yep. And he's the guy who will fill the space. He's got the run. He's got the leap. He's got the the fist. But when you've got no one behind, when you didn't have Simo for some of 2018 and you didn't have Doherty, you didn't have some of those a strong defence around him. Weedering form. Well, this is – I can go through the list. Like um, Gibbons was incredible. I love him. Um, I sat next to him on the plane but didn't quite realise it was him until we got off because I didn't get a chance to say g'day. But His first goal made me so happy. Oh, He's everything it took this a while. Year. I'm such a fan of him. Yeah. Again, who would have thought that someone who's winning the awards, the best of oh, VFL or best of Waffle, like even getting um, ex-Fremantle player, uh, his name slips my mind as well. He um, picked him up in the mid-year draft. Uh, Italian name. It goes to our conversation about we need more Italians at Carlton. <laughs> uh, anyway, but there was, you know, we, we pulled in a couple of top-end um, re- reserves players and yeah. they performed really consistently to the point where they'll be in the top percentage of, of our, well, maybe not. Uh, sorry, Gibbons will definitely finish in the top of the John Nichols medal, like in the top percentage. Josh DeLuca. DeLuca, that's the one. Sorry. That's okay. I knew I'd, uh, his name just slipped my mind. I can picture him. but um, Other ones to kind of fall out of favour we spoke about um, was Jack Silvani, which didn't. It took him no. getting he, – he's had a bit of – I think under Bolton, whatever Bolton was doing wasn't quite right for Jack and it took him getting dropped and then Jack just being able to play with the great footy now that he has. He's not I the think... most athletic. He's not the most anything, but he's a smart footy player and seeing him that game against Nat Five yeah. was just like – that was the confidence he needed that – not his confidence, but the confidence in – Fans and in the team and in everybody that, yep, you can do this and you deserve to be here in this team. I think the thing about him, which is very similar to what I want to say about Ryan Clark at the Swans, is that when they're just there to be a forward or be a Mm. winger, they get lost. But when he's given a very specific role, whether it be tagging or whether it be something specific... They play much better because they don't have to worry about all that other stuff. They can yep. just focus on that one thing. And there are a few players in the comp that we saw this year, and as I said, Ryan Clark is one of them. When they're given that role, they can excel at it. They just need to have that role to play. And that's been David Teague's big mantra. Every Pretty much every press conference from his him taking over yep. as 
interim coach has been giving them roles to play. And so you'll go through the list and you look at from rounds uh, nine, I think, was when he took over. Mm. Um, it was quite early, wasn't it? Yeah, because it was the week. They played Essendon the week of my birthday. And then it was the Monday after that. Makes it easy to remember. But you look at Wietering was having an, a good start to the year and just was the number one pick that we knew he could be. It yeah. took him four years, but he's now in that space. And then obviously with Jones and Newman, like he's really got a good backline mm. building. Um, Murphy putting him back in the – swinging back from midfield where he's played most of his career and then pushing forward and kicking some amazing goals. Yeah. And team lifting and goals. And team lifting and the pressure of him not being captain and just letting him run, letting him just kind of getting the little handball off, the little kick – uh, Jack, all these players get getting the roles. Ed, all right, you're tagging today, Ed. Just stop them. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest one of the whole team would be Levi Casbolt. The biggest, yes. The biggest lift. Oh my god, I love March him. To August. Yeah. And Play I was him in defence. I was vocally Genius. like, he probably won't last the year. I think we did talk about that. We, we did. I've got the quote that, like, no one's choosing Levi except because of injury. That was the quote from, I think you might have said that. No one's chasing him. Yeah. No one's picking him. Um, but how many players in AFL at the moment can competently, he's not out there pulling Max Gorn numbers or um, Ben Brown numbers or, um, you know, uh, whatever, but can, can play a consistent role as a forward as ruck and as defense. So I I have told you about this but uh, and we had a conversation but I went up um to see the Swans play Carlton mm. at the SCG because I was interviewing um one of the Swans development coaches yeah. that weekend and I went along to the game and and I was sitting in the very front row of the SCG which is obviously a smaller ground than most. Yeah. And watching Carlton's uh, contested ball work was, was this like in rounds like fourteen or something like, like the second half? Yeah, yeah. Watching the contested ball work, it was a thing of beauty. But Levi Casbolt stood out to me because I was sitting on the wing. The way he pushed up the ground was a really important target for them mm. up the ground, and then got back into defence and covered, and then he rucked as well. His work ethic was outstanding, and he played effectively for his career in the second half of the yep. season, and he very much deserves to continue Absolutely. on based on that. It was kind of like that Liam Jones resurgence, yep. and it's I love seeing players come back in a different form and kill it, Yeah, and that's exactly what he did, and he, it's almost like he's got a new lease on life now. I, I don't know if... I'd have to look at the timeline, but I feel like that may have coincided with the messages that his wife got, the negative messages about Levi. Oh, I didn't know that So that there happened. was a whole thing where someone, his wife had screenshotted some messages sent to her That's horrible. on Instagram about how average Levi is as a player. People, don't be assholes. It's unnecessary. It's not. And she was like, you know, this makes him obviously pretty pretty upset. It makes her upset because she's getting it. It's different if he's getting the popping it. But there's also like the rough timeline all links up with that, with with Bolton being sacked, et cetera, et cetera. And you kind of go, was that a... 
fire under the belly to prove these yeah. people wrong? Was it like, was that, it might not have been, it might just be coincidental timelines, but. Um, but throwing it, just like the Jaden Hunt forward, throwing him into defense where all he had to do was focus on his player. Yep. And defend one-on-ones against this player, and then they built it from there. Yeah. Game-changing. Solid hands, can bring the ball down. And also, Absolutely. there wasn't that pressure on him for kick- kicking for goal, which exactly. has always been the thing for him. Exactly. So, amazing. But season highlight for you? Uh, I've got a couple, but to win over the Dogs, the first time over 100 points, um, Sam Walsh kicking that goal right on the siren, that, that big win was quite great. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I was away on holiday with a partner and some friends, so watching it on television. But all of their, all of them were getting behind the Blues. They're all <laughs> mostly Port Adelaide supporters, so they <laughs> they've got a soft spot for Port. Um, the game versus Brisbane. Uh, again, I didn't get to see that because I was on, I was at work, etc. I was at the game versus Fremantle where Murphy, where we kicked the goal, and then. Um, was it Walters, I think, kicked the goal yeah. back. And then I was at the opposite end of the ground to see that Murphy goal was just like, it, it was mental. It was like we'd won a final. Um, but I think the game, the second last game versus St Kilda was just like Daisy's. Like, I was, it was the most emotional yeah. I'd been at a game. I think probably more than when we beat Fremantle to get into the AFLW final. I was probably more emotional at the St Kilda game because... It had been a big year. A yeah. lot happened. To see us win, to see us win, not convincingly, but like a, a solid win. Yeah. Daisy Thomas's last game, like everything just came together. Came together, and you're like, that's almost like the point where the hardest has passed. Yeah. Touch wood. Yeah, but yeah, it- the hardest has passed, and now we're looking forwards with a great. Like excitement. Yeah, there's hope. Mine is just the David Teague energy. Oh. David Teague energy is the positive. For, like, there's lots of positives, but I think a lot of it stems from the David Teague energy. Mm. The 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 way he uh, the way the players seem to just absolutely adore him. Yep. And his LinkedIn joke in his speech. Very good. I. Big fan. And I love Tom DeConing too, so that was also like a com- combination of <laughs> things that I like a lot. Um, low light for you? Uh, low lights, <laughs> some of the close losses at the start of the year. The one versus Gold Coast where should have should have shut the ball down. Yeah. You know, that's inexperience. That's like the team just not communicating properly. That, that happens. Yeah. But that was hard. That was... Like, we shouldn't have lost to Gold Coast. We thought we were a better team than that. Um, and then the few other close losses in that time, which if they'd gone the other way, maybe our back half of the season might have been different because yeah. we probably wouldn't have sacked Bolton at that point. So, like, it's a two-edged sword. Mm. Um, I think a low light was Alex Vassolo not getting up for it and, and calling time. Not so much that he called time, but, you know... It, I think we were looking forward to seeing. It wasn't the pickup you wasn't the pickup, and alongside Tom Bug as well, which we spoke about a lot at the start of the year, which was just oh Tom Bug. Um, and then the fact that Carlton didn't give Daisy Thomas another year. Yeah, yeah. Now there's obviously reasons for it, whether that be cat salary cap space, whether that be just general list management. Well, it feels like Newman has taken his spot, and now that Doherty is expected to be back next year, 
you can't have all three of them in the back line. Yeah, but I think Daisy Thomas was playing great football. Yeah. Even up until even in the last game against Geelong, no one played amazing. But that St Kilda game, he was still doing everything that he'd done all season. Um, you know, there is whispers about around off-field indiscretions and, and things with that that you know. But again, that's that's purely speculation. But yeah. it was sad that they, for for the quote unquote spiritual leader of the club, um, it's to move him on. To like move that. him on like that was unexpected. Yeah, and I was a bit, you know, that video of the girl who was oh yeah lost, just crying because Daisy's finishing, and you're like, people wouldn't have done that two years ago. No, when, at the end of 2017, like people wouldn't have acted that way. You no. know, he's been an absolute character for a club that needed characters to kind of give it a little bit of pizzazz in a tough time. And um, I think that's probably why me and a lot of my Carlton friends are a little bit emotional with him finishing up. But Now you can love Nick Newman. I already Um, love Nick Newman. (laughs) Um, Mine, similar to yours, there are a number of close losses where they just fell at the final hurdle. And I think the most disappointing was round 13 against the Dogs, Mm. losing by three points, and then round 16 against Melbourne, losing by five. Um, and realistically, against Hawthorne too in yeah. Tasmania, that was another thing up by so far. Yeah, realistically, I think games like this are the last frontier before a rebuilding club makes finals. So I think you can turn it as a positive and be like, okay, that's the sign that we're taking that next step. They just need to take that next step now. Well, you look at Brisbane last year, and you yeah. look at them their first half of the year, and then the it's it's very very parallel, very similar. And the, their back half of the year really grew under different circumstances, of course, but mm. that really grew. They had the close losses. They beat some competitive teams, you know, and finished just – didn't finish amazingly last year, but finished at a point where it really, people were really excited for this year and we've seen how that plays out. And I feel yeah. like Carlton can really mirror that, all things going to uh, to plan. Mm. Um, um, general feeling about the season? Uh Two halves. It's so two halves. The, that Essendon game was probably – I didn't actually mention it. That was probably probably the low light. I remember being in that game with a few friends and leaving, just being absolutely wiped. Ab- yeah. Mentally, like emotionally, all that, just wiped. Like what – we kicked four goals for the game against our arch rivals and it's, we weren't even that far out of it at halftime or whatever. It just was – I'm not blaming umpires, but I'm saying there were there have been decisions throughout the year that we've just felt have gone against us, and every it's team starting to sound like an incident. No, no. Well, like I'm I'm very aware of of that, but I'm like when you're needing anything to go your way and things don't quite when the coin doesn't fall on the right side, yeah. multiple times, it just sucks. The you're just like this. Yeah. Everything's against us. Um, yeah, I said six to seven wins. Um, you were right. I was pretty close on that. Uh, and it's very, very exciting watching everything evolve this year. And, you know, my partner is excited to go to Carlton Games because it's exciting football to watch. Kids aren't being bullied at school for being going for Carlton anymore. My nephew's <laughs> like, oh, Carlton, Carlton are the Blues. The Blues always lose. I'm like, mate, <laughs> not so much. Not anymore. Um, there was... Uh, yeah, I think that's that's my feeling about the season. I could go more and more. Like, you know, you talk about the AFL MVP, Hatcher Cripps, 300 points ahead of Tim Kelly. Um, first year player, Walsh, 
best captain Cripps came second by only a handful of votes. Um, didn't get anyone in the most courageous top three, but uh, <laughs> who Mitch, was the top three? In most uh, Dylan Grimes, Mitch Robinson, and Jaron Geary. But if Eddie Betts comes back to Carlton, then Mitch Robinson might come back as well. Which <laughs> you know, Mitch Robinson is never he's leaving not, Brisbane. He's not now. coming back. But as I was preparing for this, I was writing the Carlton um, notes, and uh, my phone was blowing up a couple of nights ago with Eddie Betts is coming back to Carlton. Eddie Betts is coming back to Carlton. So I was like, okay, it's very good timing on uh, on this one. But it's interesting to see that Bolton's gone back to Hawthorne as a yeah, good for him. As coaching, you know, uh, some friends now are anti, not anti Bolton, but, you know, more and more stuff has come out just in the dribs and drabs that you're probably more on the meeting side, more on the cerebral side and, you know, building a young team and trying to teach them had the right things, but I think it probably got to the point where it was time to rubber hit the road. And, um, yeah. you know, it's sad that it had to end that way because there's a lot of love for Bolton and a lot of belief. Mm-hmm. But um, I think you know. that the back half of the season definitely paints their year much brighter mm. than we maybe initially expected. But I do think as a whole, there's it's it's a very different young crop to five, six years ago. Mm. It's much more even. Like, obviously, Walsh is a standout star already, but there's a much more even spread of um, reliance on young players now than a few years ago when it was one guy that had to shoulder the load. Yeah. Um, so I think that is really important. And now that it's a spread between the ages of 25 down to maybe 19, that's a really strong core to build yep. a list around. My only concern about Carlton is when Cruiser moves on, he's 30. Yeah. Who have you got? Because Loby has been delisted. Delisted, yeah. Who's going to fill that? Because Cruiser is, changes the team completely. Absolutely. And when he's out, you see a very big difference. Who And Levi Caswell is the same age as him. It's not like Levi is going to come in underneath him and become the guy. Who is going to be your ruck? Tom Phillips, can he do that? I don't think he's a first, he's a season winning first string ruckman. Um, Tom DeConing, they're training up. He's been playing a lot. He's also been playing forward a lot in the seconds. Okay. Um, But they've also been running the couple of trainings that I've been to. They're putting him in with Cruiser and with Phillips and Loby and... um, Playing, putting, training him in that spot, and okay. obviously, we, as we all know, the the regular conversation is those bigger bodies take longer to develop. So, I know he's played one or two games in the back end of last year. He didn't play this year, but um, all things going well, I think that that could be. He could take that mantle. Yeah, he's there, and then it, that's probably, I dare say, something that they'll be looking forward in mm. in draft trade. You know, I would probably go with looking for someone in the VFL top end of VFL. That's probably around 23, 24. Yeah, right? whose body is has settled down and then they can, you know, build him from... Maybe you'll get Darcy Cameron from the Swans. Look, uh, but you're exactly right. You know, uh, Cruiser had a bunch of soft tissue injuries this year and, you know... But him at, in the side, it's a completely different team. Yeah. And he that, was winning the... Oh, that goal that he kicked oh, straight out of the rock. Oh, he's, so good. He's, he's literally a tractor and... Uh, well, shout out to Carlton for their social media oh, that's team. so funny. Like uh, today they announced that Simo's playing on for another year and they're 
little video was an optometrist's thing and it's like <laughs> focusing and it says Simo with like 2020 underneath it. It was very cute. They've been doing really well. And then uh, Matt Cruiser with the, the tractor like around um, Princess Park and bits and pieces like that. It's yeah. been very like enjoyable. It engages your fans. Yeah. Um, so, improved decline or plateau in 2020? Look, I'm 100% of approval. Yeah. If it goes backwards after this year, it's going to be a mutiny. It's literally going to like – if we go back to another less than five win season next year, someone's going to burn the place down. Like yeah. we've just had that. Hope is the absolute worst thing you can have in any part of life. <laughs> like if you get that little bit of hope – and I think that's what Melbourne supporters are going through this but, year. Yeah. You get that hope and then you that hope is taken away again. Like – Crazy things happen. Um, I've got them improving. I think they'll win more games just by cleaning up those close losses and yep. then regaining Doherty. Absolutely. That changes things as well. Um, as I said, Brisbane's a good indicator. We'll make the finals. But Andrew Russell came on um, in the off-season last year. So now having a full year, full pre-season with these growing boys. Because mm. I think we had four in the... 22 under 22. Yeah, that had a lot. It was a lot. And that's gr- that's a great sign as well, you know. Have full, full pre-season with Walsh, full pre-season with Stocker, which we haven't touched on. Ah, oh, so excited. Um, full pre-season with um, DeLuca and with Gibbons and, all the, and so many of these other young guys who either had a bit of injury. McGovern, his, his, the work he put in in that month off – like his jumper didn't fit in properly when he came back. Mm. Um, so him to another full preseason, hopefully with no injuries. Oh, like that broken Harry Mackay was amazing. He was your leading goal kicker. Um, all those things. So with 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 him, Kerno missed half the season. Half the season. And they didn't rush him back either. Like they could have brought him back, yeah. but they were like, you know what? Oh, we've just, missed so much on this, but there's just there's just too much to talk about. It's very very exciting. So hope though a full yeah, it's hope. It's don't don't take the, don't give us hope and then take it away. Um, our chats at the start of the year, I said there'd be a few where they were unavoidably rolled, mm. and I don't think that that happened. What there, was your biggest loss? It wasn't that much. There, it I was think, probably 57, 58 points. Yeah, I think the big losses weren't on the scoreboard. It was like that game against Essendon where it was just sold demoralizing. demoralizing. Yeah. Um, you know, the off-field recruitment is going from strength to strength. Um, we've, we've picked up some more ex-Hawthorne, like mm. Glory Years um, come to us. There's a great podcast with Kane Little that came out this mm. week where he talks about... AFLW as well. He does talk a bit about it. Have you listened to that one? I read the quote, I don't like listening to Damien Barrett, so I didn't That's, listen. That was the hard part. But Kane Little's a great speaker and a great mm. communicator and saying that he basically will just ask anybody. He'll walk up to walk up. I'm talking inverted commas because sometimes walk up is a phone call. <laughs> He'll get in contact with anybody who's the best yeah. and say, you know, How's, how are you doing? How's your contract? And he's like, if they say I'm happy in my contract... He's like, thanks very much. Good to chat. We'll see you around. But if they say negative on either of those, he's like, well, let's have a proper chat. And just that not fear to just ask a question, yeah. not being, you know, inappropriate. And he's like, I'll cop a clip across the years from the CEO of someone else asking about their, you know, head of sports development or whatever. But just that, not that fear to go, 
if we want, we want the best. We we believe we can be the best, and just go. And that's very anti boys club as well, which is something that has been mm. thrown around about Carlton. Yeah, is not just going after the dudes that are your mates or you went to high school with, going and finding the right person for the yep. job. Yeah. Oh, should we take a very quick break? And one one more thing one more I want to add is the conversation about the Liam Stocker trade. Yes. As oh, I actually wrote a note on this. Can I read you what I wrote? Absolutely. I just feel like it needs to be shouted from the rooftops. Because we had a big conversation about this, and I might bring it back and share it as a quick little piece. Yep. But those who mocked the live trade with Adelaide will have quietened significantly mm. with the way the season has panned out. Um, you and I were both really positive about it, and... You have to take risks like this to get the reward. And this goes back to the even spread of young guys in your team, not relying on one number one pick, but developing a few guys together. And we're starting to see that. We talked about that without touching on Stocker. And look at what's happened to Adelaide. That pick, how much is that going to change their team? Whereas Stocker, with those other guys, is going to change Carlton. At the bye... It was looking very scary for us. It did look very, very scary. scary. (laughs) Uh, Stocker played five games throughout the year and um, averaged about a bit over 15, I think it is, disposals Mm. a game. 13 disposals a game. Um, And still hasn't kicked a goal, so we'll save that for next year. But played in five losses. Um, so I don't know if we can use that as a litmus test. But then he stock got injured. Yeah. He had a little injury and, and spent some time developing in the seconds, which is... They expected would happen. Yeah. You know, you might get lucky with a Walsh rarely, and he just plays every game and he's superb. But you give him a try, you kind of see where they're actually at, at the with, with the quote-unquote men, because mm. um, he's still a boy. He's 18 years old. Uh, and you go, all right, let's just get you right. And... Every time the conversation, it's like Adelaide get pick one, Carlton's pick one, and but it's like no, it's and Liam Stocker yeah. because we got a, a pick that we wouldn't have got, and Adelaide's pick, which is I think it's now, uh, it would be. I don't think there's any extra things in it, so it'd be eight or nine if Gold Coast get yeah, the... and Adelaide get four or five. So realistically, for a first round draft, two first round draft picks in return for one. Yeah, which is a four, a three. And you look at the points, we come out better on points, even we come out better on more points if GWS gets, uh, Gold Coast Suns get their Mm. bonus pick. Um, So, look, we haven't seen much of Liam Stocker on the ground, but. The Liam, and we won the Liam Stocker Cup. That's the other thing. We've yeah. been Adelaide in that last couple of weeks. My issue was always that there would be so much pressure put on this one kid because of what Carlton chose to do. And I'm glad that that didn't seep through into the year. Yep. Um, because Adelaide became a shambles. We'll talk about that later. But Adelaide became more of a shambles than – and beca- that became the biggest story than mm. Liam Stocker. Yep. So I'm glad that this kid – it, it, the the external pressure on this kid hasn't been as immense as maybe anticipated. Yep. Um, and yeah. that's probably why they've kept him quiet, quieter, because they'd rather him I can't wait for and... him to win the Rising Star next year and Adelaide can just cry about it. What is it? Because it's like, is it 20? It's You have to be under the age of 21 and, played less and have than... played less than, I think it's 10 games or something at the start of the season. Yeah. Well, he fits uh, under that, no worries. Yeah. So. 
just like Isaac Rankin. G'day. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a very quick break and then we'll be back with more of the Play On Review Special Edition um, AFLM non-finalists. And we're back with this special edition of the Play On Review. I'm here with Jason Morrison and we're, we are reviewing all the non-finalists in the AFLM 2019 season. We are up to place 15 on the ladder, the Sydney Swans. Just 15. It was sure. very close. We've Carlton and Sydney had finished very close together. Well, I mean, Sydney won one more game. So um, Sydney won eight games, lost 14, and uh, finished with a percentage of 97.7%, which for a team placed 15th, very, very solid. Solid. Um, I think you wanted to start this one, and then I will do my rant, right? <laughs> so who was your player to watch? Uh, where is my notes? Aliyah was one of my players to watch. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if we mentioned it on here, but I was having a conversation, I know, last night about the interview Aliyah did a couple of weeks ago with, with Narrowly. Narrowly. Um, yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, oh, but the other one, which I, I did mention, I didn't write down, but I mentioned is Blakey, which yep. was, yeah, it's very exciting to watch, very you know, I'm not a huge Sydney fan overall, and I'm not like I'm not a big champion for Sydney Swans, but um, <laughs> more know. so now that you know me, right? Fifty-fifty. Oh. <laughs> oh come on, um, mate! I support your Blues. Uh, look, I'm not against Sydney. I just would wouldn't say that they're uh, a team that I have a lot of. Uh, I've been very diplomatic in my choice of words. I don't hate <laughs> Sydney, but I definitely don't. Um, don't love them. Don't love them. But watching Blakey play was really enjoyable. Yeah. Because he does not – his body is not – Right. It's odd. It's yeah. There's no surprise why he's got the nickname Lizard because <laughs> he looks like a frill neck lizard. And I do hope that um, Mad Monday or Wacky Wednesday or the variation that Sydney does, he went as a frill neck lizard because it would have been <laughs> – Superb. Uh, he just needs like some of some of you out there with really good nonners to cook him up some like great pasta and some great like fettuccine, etc., etc., and just bulk that kid up. He just needs to go and sit at the pub and smash back a bunch of chicken parmas <laughs> and a bunch of pasta and just. Well, his dad is really strict on diet, so I imagine that's passed down to him as well. Oh, I imagine so, and it's a great. Thing to have, it just he just needs some more muscle on him. That kid, and, you <laughs> well, know, that's how I felt about Haywood when Haywood was first drafted. He was a stick, yeah, and he's improved. And off season in the gym, mm. and as I said, a few more um, bowls of you know big fat chunky pasta. <laughs> um, but very excited for for that young man. Uh, mine was Tom Papley, mm-hmm. um, and. I've actually written a line that I wrote in my notes for the preview. Um, He'll be important breaking through packs and transitioning the ball inside 50. And I'm just going to gloat here. I don't think I could have been more right about this. Um, 
He was the Swans' leading goal kicker with 37 goals, but he also had 141 score involvements, and he averaged three inside 50s a game. So his not only his work inside 50, but his transition work to get the ball into an attacking position yep. was really important. He obviously spent more time inside 50 later in the season than he did earlier on. It was very clear what the Swans were trying to do in terms of game style and all that sort of stuff, and he was crucial to that. Yeah. Um, he got up around the contest. He pushed forward really, really well. He worked really well with the young guys that were up forward as well, the young key forwards that were up there. Yeah. So very exciting to see what he did. I hope he stays at the Swans. Obviously, it's looking more likely recently, but... You never really know anything until the end of trade period happens. What's your immediate thoughts on his non-Sydney potentials? If he doesn't stay at Sydney, what do you... I think Carlton have really strong mm. uh, looks at him, but realistically, we don't know anything that's going on until we Absolutely. know the movements. Until that paper's been exactly filed away. Yep. Um, speaking of Zach Jones, my player under the pump was Zach Jones. And this is an unpopular opinion I've found, mostly this year, but I've never been a huge fan of his. Um, his demeanour in terms of very aggressive, off-the-ball behaviour is something that I don't like. Yeah. Um, he had a lot less of that this year, for sure. Um, and his time spent up the field, I think, certainly saw his game improve. But his finishing still needs a lot of work. And in a team that's really young, like the Swans were this year, which we'll talk about... Um, you can't afford to have players like that that are just turning the ball over so often. Yep. And I think his disposal efficiency numbers are really deceiving because he so often puts his teammates under serious pressure and then they have to deal with the consequences of his poor disposal. And that frustrates me because he gets away and people think that the flashy thing he's done is great. And yep. then that other people are poor, but he's in reality putting other teammates into the position where they look poor. Um, I don't know. That's the most diplomatic way I can say <laughs> that. But very, I, very, uh, yeah, played a very straight bat on that one. I think he needs something else to his game. So he either needs to tackle more and be more pressure, mm-hmm. or he needs to hit the scoreboard more accurately, which he doesn't, or he needs to. Do something else. He can't just be the guy that gets the ball, runs a bit, then turns it over. Yeah. That, you're not going to have a good impact on on your team. It doesn't matter how many disposals you get. If your disposal to your teammates is not going to work for the game style or things like that. There were moments that he showed some really good stuff, but it was amongst a lot of really poor stuff. So people often will look back and be like, oh, he played really well because they think of that one moment when in reality... It reminds me of the North Melbourne game last year where Aaliyah kicked the match-winning goal, right? Yeah. Which was his first goal. That game, he was very poor that game. And I think a lot of people, if they just watch the game without that last bit, they're like, yeah, he didn't play well. Yeah. But that goal at the end glossed over what he'd done earlier. And I think that happens a lot with Zach Jones. And I think that he could be more beneficial at a team that need the line-breaking speed but don't rely so much on the disposal. Yeah. Whereas Sydney have kind of found a few of those players coming through that do have that speed that can also use the ball a bit better or they do another one of those things so they tackle or they hit the scoreboard or something like that. So that's my issue with Zach Jones and I cop a lot for that. I don't think he's a bad person, anything like that, but I don't think he is what the team needs. 
Yeah, he's only like he's not a prolific scorer in any means. Like he's only kicked. He kicked like four goals, seven this year. Three seven, yeah, three, seven. which is like you know, last year he kicked six three and ten sixty before. So it's that extra, particularly mm. year where. Buddy still was in the top goal kickers after playing only what was it, ten games. games yeah. Ten games. Um, he mentioned Papley kicked thirty-seven, but you know, after you get past Papley, Reed, Franklin, and Heaney, then it's it's, it's Mc- thin. Yeah, it's guys like McCartan who played half the year in defence. Yeah. Blakey who kicked 20, 19. Blakey in his first year, like Ronke kicked ten, uh, nine, and Kennedy after six, seven. Like yeah. it's. It's it's those players where need to, you know, seven three would have been a better yeah, finish when you don't exactly. have the big guy up the front, yeah, doing all the damage. Yeah, um, who was your player under the pump? Uh, listening back to it, we were talking about Buddy and about how, how his year will look because he had a you know a few injury concerns at the end of. Last year, well, yeah, in the preseason, yeah, yeah. So yeah, in the preseason, and we've kind of seen now that he never really got, you know, twenty minutes training last year, or you know, so he never really hit the ground running this year. He never really, you know, is the is Buddy's best still there, or is he now going to have a couple of seasons of playing better football than most, but not the outstanding. I, season like the last game of the year, he still looked great, but it's like, is he like we're talking about Cruiser? Like, is he just he's his body is now his biggest competitor? I reflecting more and more on the season, and reflecting more and more on what John Longmire said multiple times during press conferences and things. Mm. After a few weeks at the start of the season, it seemed very clear that their focus was getting games into the young guys mm. and getting new game style into the young guys. Yep. So once that happened and Buddy was re-injured, it felt very much like the focus wasn't on getting him up to play and that if he needed more weeks to get his body right, they weren't going to try and rush because there was no need because they weren't going to make finals. Yep. So that, to me, I think sets him up very well for next. I don't think you're ever going to see... Buddy at his absolute yeah. like career twenty six year old best again because can, that's just age. But, but you can compare that to someone like a a Gary Ablett Jr. who sitting a bit more forward this year, less on the ball, and still being able to impact. be better than ninety percent of the yeah. competition. And I think in a role where he doesn't have to throw his body on the line every single time. So it's probably a parallel with yeah. With and Franklin. I think that's what we're going to see. He, he he will be better for. This year, missing those games. Yep. Next year, when the Swans are doing more. Yeah. Um, season highlight for you? Uh, I. The thing that sticks out to me most this year was probably the last game yep. where retirements, Buddy's three hundredth. Like, just that was such a mm. beautiful moment that even though the year for Maybe fringe, not fringe Sydney supporters, but Sydney supporters who aren't. Who are all about the win loss. Who are, yeah, who are more about the win loss and less about, okay, we've been, we're a strong team. This isn't a failure year. This is a year where it's just take the foot off the pedal and we'll kind of 
let the next generation, et cetera, et cetera, all the stuff that we have talked about, and you will no doubt go into much more detail. Yeah, I've got it all here ready to go. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> that, that moment of like was really beautiful. Yeah. You know, the fact that Buddy was able to play with those guys. Kick four goals. You know, do his do, do what we've come to know Buddy as. Um, everyone getting cheered off at the end and just and a, and a win as well to finish mm. off the all of that. And against St Kilda Pride game, the fact that Buddy's last three uh, milestone games all been against St Kilda. And there was some funny stat where his 100th game, he had 13 handballs. In his 200th game against St Kilda, he had 13 marks and 13 kicks in his 300th game. Oh, I hadn't seen some that Some kind one. of like... I just know that he kicked zero goals, nine goals, four goals. 100th, oh, the... he kicked zero. 200th, he kicked nine. 300, they kicked four. Yeah, right. I didn't, I wasn't across the goals exactly. Yeah. Like, but um, it's just a good way for fans to go, look, it's okay. Mm. It's not, it's not a year like Melbourne had where they failed. Yeah. It's a year where we've got some exciting young players. We kind of would have had it an idea purposeful. going in. Purp- yeah. There's now next year, if they finish the same or lower, that's a problem. That's the problem. Um, Unless touch wood, you know, injury, the injury cloud just sits over SCG for the next six months. But my season highlight was that game as well. Mm. Um, my low light was, okay, it's not my low light, but one of my low lights was my car getting destroyed by a kangaroo as we were driving to that game. So yeah. I never actually got to it. So that was very disappointing. Um, Whereabouts on the road did you make it to? I haven't actually asked you this yet. So my family, some of my family's from Beechworth. Yeah. So we were in Beechworth for the night and then had only got, we were between Beechworth and Wodonga. So we didn't get very far because it was dark. It was 6am. Sure. So I was lucky in that. Anyway, let's not think about that. I missed my car. Um, But it, it is hard to go past that round 23 the the key moments in that for me that and I love Buddy but for me that game yep. wasn't about Buddy that game was about Jared McVeigh and it was about Kieran Jack who were our co captains yeah. when we won a premiership yep. and it felt so right that they went out together that way in a game like that both kicking those goals at yeah the end. oh yeah so McVeigh so often feels very uh, harsh maybe is the word where he doesn't smile a lot. You don't see him smile a lot. The only times you really see him celebrate were the grand final. That was sure. it. So the way he celebrated his goal and then pumped up the crowd, that's something that you don't see very often from McVay. So you knew it was special. Yeah. And then Kieran Jack, when he got the ball on the half forward flank and every single Swans player inside 50 was pointing, pointing at the goals, the goal. that was like, that gives you goosebumps. Like that's what the club is. Yep. And when you look at who those guys inside the forward line were... It was guys like McVeigh, who had been there for a long time, was retiring as well, and Josh Kennedy, who's the current captain of the club. Then it's guys like Mendel, who have come in. It's their first season in the club. And then it's guys like Tom McCartan, or not Tom McCartan, but uh, Blakey, who's young and new to It was a very nice encapsulation of what the club is. Yep. And it was just so And the transition they, from the old guard into the new guard. Yeah, and the way they all just pointed at the goals immediately. Like, it, it gives you chills. Like, I've got goosebumps now. It just... It was such a perfect way to finish yeah. it. The fact that McVa- um, Grundy and Nick Smith were both there as well yep. to be chaired off. The fact that 
Hanabry helped chair that off was McVeigh. Really sweet. Like it just everything came together so perfectly. Also, if you look at the photos of the chairing off, um, for some reason Malikin is wearing one boot. Um, so go back and look at those photos. It's very funny. Um, yeah, and it, there was just so, there were so many little moments in that broadcast that were just amazing. Yep. Like um, when they did go to do the chairing. No one wanted to lift Grundy because he's so heavy. So Heaney was like needing someone to come over, like little things like that that are just very funny and yeah. like you can look back on. And it's probably for the best that the Swans weren't in finals because they could have that moment without yeah. it being a sad moment, nothing like without that. leaving out a champion because they might not quite be at the stand. Yeah, yeah. So it was kind of perfect. Um, the Swans last time they missed finals was two thousand and nine, ten years ago. We're gonna be okay. So. Yeah, it was... Even if you miss beautiful. him again next year, you'll still be okay. It's not the end of the world. Mm. Um, One of the great stories I heard out of that, I didn't get to watch the game because I was in a flight. In, I was in a flight, on a flight, in a plane, on a flight. <laughs> I was flying while that game was happening. <laughs> yeah. So I only kind of just kept track when I landed on the yeah. scores and stuff and saw the photos. But there's a story that a kid leant over the bench... Yeah, 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 yeah. To, to Josh tell Kennedy, Josh Kennedy, get Kieran Jack a goal. Get Kieran Jack a goal. So Josh Kennedy ran to the back line and pushed Tom McCartney to defence. Yeah, sorry, yeah, pushed him forward to get the goal. And I just think that is that is this. To quote, uh, to quote a good boy for the energies. There's something in that. It's just it makes it makes you feel good about the club. Yeah, the way they handled it all. Um, well, also the flip side of that is that how did they not? think of that before <laughs> you know yeah like that was took, it took a yeah. kid on the sidelines to say hey hey Kennedy like just <laughs> send him forward and he's like oh didn't even think of that at all yeah. like, but there yeah. was just so much happening like could you imagine their social media content team that week pride match yep four retirements of premiership players buddy's 300th mm-hmm. and Elias 50th game I didn't realise it was Elias 50th. But that's what I mean. Like, that got completely ignored because there was so much else happening. Yeah. And it was the final round of the season. And, yeah, anyway. Um, they needed a good, good break after that one. Yeah. Low light for me, um, there are two that come to mind. And even then, they weren't really low. Um, that's the energy I've got. Just going to cut you off for a second. Is that not only you're positive, and then I've got a couple of other good friends who are Sydney supporters, is that even though the year wasn't a finals year, et cetera, yeah. it's... It's a settling in. It's not a. There wasn't a lot of negatives. No, exactly. Even the losses weren't that bad. And that's what I have for my my low light and general feeling is that there's a good patch either side of the buy, and then you know other parts that weren't yeah. amazing. But probably not getting Naismith back out there for the season is yeah. probably a low light. But I just had two round eleven against Geelong down in Geelong. The Swans are young and they were super impressive, except for kicking eight fifteen. Um, realistically, they should have won that game. Yep. They just didn't kick straight. So they had the opportunity and didn't take it. And that, for me, is a low light. And then round 20 against GWS was a game that just got away from them. The Swans really had in their grasp. Kind of similar to Carlton, though, these losses are probably the best losses for a young side to have and learn from um, because those are the sorts of losses that they're not going to have next year. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, the, the Fremantle one as well, one point late in the game. Those aren't losses Sydney will repeat next year. Yeah. Um, general feeling, though. Uh, do you want to have yours? Because then I'm going to go on a big rant. Um, a positive much, rant. I pretty much was just like just basically what I said before about um, 
I've got a lot of people really bullish, really positive about Sydney. So it's hard to really, even though they're a team that I don't have strong feelings for, yeah. um, that I don't feel negative towards because these years happen and, and with the young kids you've got with the, like we just said, the changing of the list from being, um, I know Sydney are in the lower age I don't. Know, some weeks they I were the will lowest. I touch on that. Yep. Um, but one of the like one of the lower lower age averages, you know, there was some great wins. There were some disappointing losses. Um, I'm just sad that uh, going into the last couple of rounds that we could have finished above you, <laughs> and we missed out by a game, which you know, and percentage, and percentage, but like thirteen percent. You know. <laughs> It would have been nice to get get one over Sydney, but uh, well, you did up at up at the SCG. A seven point win is never sneezed at. A win's a win. Anyway, that's that's my thing. Like, I don't. This is not not to phrase it incorrectly, but I don't care. <laughs> that's fine. Like, I'm not I'm not sad that Sydney missed finals. I'm not happy that they missed finals. I'm glad that that they're you know that as a team they're still a quality team. And, you know, that will highlight more and more over the coming years and hopefully they get to a lot of preliminary finals. So <laughs> you will cop something for that later. Um, I am That's obviously, why I'm glad Carlin's already done. <laughs> I am obviously really positive about the Swans. They consistently fielded one of, if not the younger side in the comp mm. for most of the season. I think in terms of list profile, they were the second youngest list in the competition behind Gold Coast. Yeah. Um, so the fact that they were consistently the youngest side came 15th with eight wins and had a percentage of nearly 98%. That's something that oh, we haven't actually seen happen before. Um, Sydney having a percentage that high is the highest that we've ever seen of a team that the lost 14 games. Sydney no, no, seen on AFL. In the VAFL. Yeah. Um it's the highest a team that's of like a team that's lost 14 games has had in terms of percentage. Yeah. So that's actually a really positive is that the loss the the average losing margin for the Swans was 19 points. Yeah. For a team that's consistently the youngest in the comp, 3 goals is your average loss. That's Actually super impressive. Yeah. And it shows that they didn't actually fall that much. Um, I think as well, an even season, the ladder probably makes it look worse than it was. Yeah. Um, there were players that threw a lot of injuries that the Swans dealt with this year that really stood up. Um, so I'm going to quickly rattle off a couple because I want to shout out my boys. But uh, Jordan Dawson, he was the breakout kind of player of the comp this year, I think. Um, he, everyone's talking about him, but I ranted about him to you yeah. last year, you know, yep. um, his kicking downfield is incredible, but also his kicking for goal. He kicked 15 goals one this year. Mm. He doesn't miss. So having, and then he went back and took 10 intercept marks on the weekend. He, he replaced Isaac Heaney as that utility plug holes kind of player. So Heaney could go in the middle and then sit forward. He didn't have to be that guy anymore because yep. Dawson could do it and showed consistently that he could do it. Um, he he played round one, played a little bit poorly, got dropped for one game and then was back in the side, didn't miss again. So that super, super positive and he's signed a contract extension as well. So good. 
Tom McCartan, it took a few weeks for him to get in. Um, and when he first came in, he was playing as a key defender because they the Swans just didn't have any key defenders. Um, and he he he's not a defender, but he did respectably. Yeah. Considering, um, and then when he went forward, he kind of gained confidence as the year was going on. There yep. are a few moments that we see that last year he would have passed off or looked to pass off, but this year he just went back and kicked the goal. Yep. Kicked two goals on the weekend, or three goals on the weekend, which is a high for him. Um, he was kicking... Which is a 30, he kicked 11 goals for the, 10 for the year, so that's yeah. a good chunk of his... Like that's a, That's a day out for him, three goals. And, and also the fact that in, uh, as part of that... He sat in defence for a lot of it, mm. so didn't really have goaling opportunities. But then when he did go forward, he had an impact. Yep. Um, and now he's still only 19, so there's so much growth there for him. Um, Robbie Fox, I think well, we've been crying out, and I, I've said this to you multiple times, Sydney's been crying out for a small lockdown defender after Nick Smith's retirement and obviously didn't get on the park this year. We yeah. just haven't had anyone. It's looking like Robbie Fox is becoming that guy, that small lockdown defender. He's quick, he's smart, he can go in the air, and he uses the ball quite well. So he, I think, is going to have like a rebirth of his career. He's always been a fringe player, but late in the season, he's become that lockdown defender, which is really exciting for me because I love him. And him consistently getting games is something that is great for me. Um, James Rowbottom is going to be a future captain of the club. He... His second half of the year was outstanding in his debut year. I don't know too much about... He's number eight, so taking Kurt Tippett's number. Mm -hmm. He's unfortunately Brian Uh, Taylor's nephew, who I dislike. That's right. Are you going to change the Tippett on the back of your jumper to row bottom? No. No. I love Kurt Tippett. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'll never not love Um, His in and under work, contested work, outstanding. But his attack at the goals off forward stoppages is so exciting. Yeah. And you see he's actually, he's 18 and 
at breaks in play, he's leading the team. He's, yeah. okay, this is where I need to be. This is where he, he's the future leader of that club. And it's things like that that make you so excited. Um, I could keep talking, but I think you get the idea. Like, consistently having young players who now are getting 20, 30, 40 games in them, they're going to be so hard to stop next year. And they're going to gather so much momentum over the next five yeah. years because they have so much time together. The conversations that we're having about Sydney are the same conversations we're having about Carlton, Carlton before. It's about building these, not just the team as the 40-odd players, but the the core members bringing this first, second, third years up together yeah. as a good chunk and then um, kind of putting them in the oven for... 25 minutes at 180 degrees and letting them rise. Yeah. So they'll come out as third, fourth and fifth year players as the team, you know, as everything starts to kind of germinate, as it starts to kind of, um, you know, rise and, you know, we'll see, you know, we'll probably see a strong Brisbane for the next five years. We'll see a strong Carlton for the next, and a strong Sydney, these teams that we can go through now. And it's like, it's not, Judging by the last ten games of the season, yeah, it's like it's not panic stations for us. Oh, not at for all. You. Um, you obviously it's far from Brisbane, but you kind of even look at Port Adelaide as well to a lesser extent. You go, they've got a lot of other stuff, and we'll get to Port Adelaide in mm. a, in a hot second. But you can see they might be a year behind Sydney and Carlton. They're hitting the bottom now, yeah, and then. Reset next year will be flat, and then it'll be. Yep. So you you can see where the teams sitting here are really good. Yeah, I yeah. I just yeah I I'm just so excited at the prospect of what Sydney's list profile is. Um, next year we're going to have I think three players that are over thirty. Yeah, three players, which is Josh Kennedy, one of our captains, mm-hmm. Callum Sinclair who's, I think, going to be 30, and Buddy. Because now that Nick Smith, McVeigh, um, Kieran Jack, Heath Grundy have yep. all retired, that's pretty much all the older guys in the mm. Dane Rampey will turn 30 mid-season. So Ma- that's kind of it. And then below that, Luke Park is 27. Um, Robbie Fox is 26. So, like, those are the older guys on the list. Harry Cunningham is 26, you know? It's probably going to be... It may be again next year. Like I was thinking about Carlton last year, going into this year, going okay. Or it might actually be another season for Sydney, where another transition year next year. It might not be. It might be another year. You're you're vehemently shaking your head. But I'm shaking my head from you know. Sydney's got a great track record, but track record at that. But you know, with the changes and with depending on how they go off season trading and pickups and whatnot. Um, well, but if you look like just look at it as so the the last season before two thousand nine Sydney missed finals was two thousand and two, so after that they missed for one year, launched back in, made two grand finals, one mm. one. After two thousand and nine, out for one year, launched back in, made three grand finals, one one. So if they can continually just do that ten year cycle, is this you saying you're happy to put a fifty dollar? Wager on Sydney making the grand final next year? I don't bet, but Sydney's going to win the case next five be- flags, obviously. Of- <laughs> <laughs> um, would, you put a, would you put a case of beer on that, Gemma? I don't drink beer, so... Would you put a case of 
Do you prefer Pepsi Max? Oh, I'd put a case of Pepsi Max. Give on me it. Pepsi Max. Done. All right. Here, a case of Pepsi Max, and Sydney will play in the grand final in 2020. Okay. Done. Pepsi Max is cheap. I love a good Pepsi Max. <laughs> <laughs> we'll probably split it. Let's be honest. Yeah. When we do this we'll review do this over the time, next, next, crack through it. next year, we'll just smash through it. It'll be, it'll be drink a can of Pepsi per team we yeah. go through. Well, we take long enough. Um, improve, decline or plateau in 2020? Um, Sydney is such a smart club. Yep. Um, basically, you've summed up what I was going to say. Is they're a smart club, um, run well. Um, Tom Harley, love him. It'd be, it's very hard to see them going backwards overall. Mm. Whether they will, like our conversation was, will probably they, they could sit, just miss finals, like sit just on that cusp next year, depending on how everything pans out. If there's a few injuries, if there's like, if the team's gel is not quite there yet. Mm. But I'd be really surprised if they go back. Like it'd be such a surprise for, for Sydney to go backwards next year. Yeah. I can't see it happening. I'm seeing them launching back into the eight next year, just saying. Just saying. Um, I said they finished fifth, and I wasn't confident on that at the start of the year. I kind of, where they fit, but, um, and you said five to seven, so we're kind of in a similar. I had, yeah. So, yeah. um, You know, a bit of a difference on that, but again, nothing to to panic stations. Four games out of the eight, it's not overly bad. And considering the number of games they lost by 10 points or less. Yeah. But that good percentage. And the yeah, percentage. Um, should we talk about St Kilda now, who finished 14th with nine wins? Let's do it. So they ended up with a percentage of 83.9%, which is below both Sydney and Carlton. Um, and obviously had their souls destroyed by the Swans in round 23. Uh, who, was, who was your player to watch for this one? My, I don't know how well you remember some of the details of our chat at the start of the year because it was a fairly, like this one, it's a fairly long chat. Yep. My overall response to St Kilda this year was just, meh. Yeah. It was, I was like, I, I'd said that they would finish 17th. They said they'd have a better brand of football but no better place. Like I just was like, St Kilda have got nothing that's appealing to me at present. There's nothing that was like, Great. <laughs> Nothing that made me go, I'm going to really deep dive into their list because there's some young players that are going to really excite me. Like, um, picked up Max King but didn't play. And um, picked up Sam Rowe, who they gave game. That's uh, the other thing we forgot to mention about the Sydney St Kilda Pride Sam game Rowe's is 100. Sam Rowe got his 100th. Like, it was a bit rough of Carlton to delist him on 99. They should have got him a goal. Should have. Like and then they've delisted him now. Now they're oh. like, we've given you the hundred, go off into the amateur footy leagues and, yeah. and have a have a run around. Um, I look, I well, still feel the same about St Kilda, except yeah. that uh, we did speak about, and we will get to this. We did speak about Alan Richardson, um, and up until this year, I think it was only the last two years haven't had any mid season coach changes, and now I've had what else? Five. I There's think. so many. My player to watch, and I was very bullish on this preseason, and I continued to be bullish on it all throughout the season to the point where this player was an answer to one of my trivia questions. <laughs> um, Rowan Marshall. He you was, were very excited about I was so excited, and he was amazing this year. He was arguably St Kilda's best player, I think, this year. He really stood up in that number one ruck role. 
And for a portion of the season, he was actually the best in the comp when it looked when you were looking at player ratings and things yeah. like that, um, which is, is that really like, exciting. Is that like the when you say player ratings, it's like the AFL champion a- data yeah. ones? Yeah. Um, at twenty three, he's still growing kind of towards his peak year, so there's heaps of upside to him. He covers the ground really well, and more importantly, I think he uses the ball really well. He's kind of that Grundy prototype, but a little bigger bodied. Yeah. Um, and he can actually go forward and have an impact as well there. So this is his first full season. He debuted in 2017 up at the SCG. I think he played four or five games. Oh, he played 12 games last year, and he played almost every single game this year. So he's growing into this player that... St. Kilda can hang their hats on. Mm. Um, they can build a team around him as a ruck-forward combination. He's damaging in the contested ball, and he's so underrated, I think. People still aren't really talking about him, and he's been outstanding all year. So, fuck yeah, Rowan Marshall. He finished on about 18 disposals a game. But what was is, what were his clearance numbers like? Really high. Hitouts was 570. I said clearances. I know. I'm just out. looking through the list here. 110 <laughs> clearances. This is what I mean. Out of how many games? 20? 20. That's outstanding. Mm. That's what you want from your ruck, the contribution from your ruck. Yeah. It was great. Um, player under the pump or to fall out of favour. I remember with this one, I threw a curveball and I said Alan Richardson. Alan, yeah. We did have that long yeah. conversation about that. Um, and it's didn't very, last the season. It's very interesting, that scenario and... Um, there's a great podcast series out called Sacked. I'm not sure if you had a chance to listen no, to I it. No, I haven't. It'd be a great off-season yep. one when you're hanging out for more footy content because most of the footy podcasts have stopped and you just... Give me all the AFLW ones. Um, but there's two St Kilda coaches so far. that I don't know who else they've got coming up. They're going to be releasing episodes with, but there's a constant conversation about the culture mm. higher up which then obviously affects... Which has been a conversation for years. Forever. And, you know, while it's not... Well, obviously this year is the year one one team plays their hand and sacks their coach and everyone's trying to get the best coach available. So it kind of is a bit of a waterfall. Everything kind of comes after that. But there's a lot of those conversations about St Kilda and St Kilda's hierarchy mm. and going back to Seaford and back to Moorabbin and going all these things where it's like since... Those glory years since, you know, the 2011 grand final and um, it's really needs a bunch of work there. So mm. it's very interested to see. Well, funny how every Ross Lyon club seems, seems to have, um, other than Sydney, of course, seems to have culture issues, which is coming out about Frio at the moment as well. It was that, that I think with St Kilda is it's a long... It's, it's well documented. Oh, it's the Butters stuff as well, what he's come out and said. Mm. So, hmm. But I think going off that, there have been a lot of problems at St Kilda during Richardson's tenure that were completely out of his control. But this kind of felt like a public action that St Kilda could take to show their fans that they were doing something about the problems. Yeah. And kind of the axe fell on him. And I know he's not perfect and there were some issues in terms of personality with him. Yeah. But I think the axe did very much fall on him for some club-wide issues. Um, he has been picked up by Melbourne. Yeah, I did hear that. But yeah. they've not specified what his role is, but I'm sure he'll be valuable because I think his footy brain is really important and he seems like a really nice dude as well. So, And, you know, everyone's like, oh, this guy's such a nice guy. 
you know, you obviously don't work with him. You don't. No, but I think uh, I think the thing about him is that he seems very thoughtful, mm. and before he says anything, he really thinks about what he's going to say. And I feel the same about Chris Scott. Yeah, very much consider their words. They don't pull punches, but they consider what words they're choosing before they say them. Yeah, and I really respect that about him. So I hope he does go to Melbourne and have an impact. Yeah, um, in a Melbourne coaching panel that has had some shakeups this this year, and it's probably just that little bit different experience. That little bit, you know, I, I don't think that's a great. You know, sometimes you find that senior coaches aren't people who are in a senior coaching position. Their best fit isn't a, as a senior mm, coach. Exactly. Um, someone who comes to mind immediately is Neil Baum. Like, he's had a great success behind the scenes, mm. but as a coach, had was okay. Well, Neil Craig's another one. Yeah. Behind the scenes, they just seem to, the teams that they're working with at the back end just seem to be thriving. Mm. Um, so, you know, good luck to him. And Season highlight for you? Uh, I've got two. Um, one we spoke about at the Sam Rowe getting the 100 before doing this. I'm like, the fact that they... That's very Nathan Freeman, isn't it? Oh, it's just nice that sometimes clubs just throw the public... A bone. Mm. Oh, that's probably the wrong way to put it. It sounds a bit... But they just throw... They just go, we know you want this. We know we want... We want it for him. And at the end of the day, football's about everybody, not just... The W's and L's. The W's and L's. And I think the time of the year, the last three or four games, when things are sort of solid, do it for the fans. Do Who's it for it the hurting? players. It's Jared Ruffhead playing that game we'll talk about... Um, I don't want to tear up just yet. <laughs> the other thing which really made me happy for the year, and I, I have a lot of highlights and lowlights that are less like this player did this really well on the ground and it's a bit more... Um, moments. Moments or aesthetic things. Yeah. Um, but to see like Jack Stevens in the last few games coming out looking like Aaron Gox <laughs> and knowing that Aaron Gox is a big St Kilda fan yeah. it just was like it just feels like Goxie's out there running out at full forward <laughs> taking like diving chest marks and kicking some snags it was just a really like if they'd put in that last home game if they'd let Aaron Gox run out on the ground it would have <laughs> been I would have lost my mind it would have been hilarious just as a you know doing it for the fans doing it for the the team, the, for the culture, doing it for, you know, um, it's great that he could get back into the team and, yeah. and get back to that point and doing it, even though he's self-admitted out of shape, but still play. Yeah. Still he still had an in- impact, yeah. Yeah, and it's like it's not always about that, like, finely tuned elite athlete getting it 100%. It's about I want the ball, I want to kick some goals, yeah. and I want to, you know, rock a great haircut. And a pie gut while doing great. it. Great. Great is subjective. Great haircut. Mine was the emergence of Ron Marshall. I'll go back to everything I said before. But yep. I think he was the highlight of St Kilda's season. And he is the hope, the great white hope, I guess. Mm. But my low light, uh, everything about China. I have that there as well. The China game just seemed like not only did they not prepare, it sounded like lack of preparation but then you get Jaron Geary back into the game and then he 
breaks his leg. Oh, that's inc- not only was that like that's that's a low light on both sides. Is his initial injury is incredible. That photo, yeah. is incredible, and the fact that he's like, oh, it's a bad corky, and then went to the hospital, and it would, that photo is incredible. And I'm not saying that with hyperbole. It is just, no, it's amazing. And then for him to break his leg in China. Is the illness that went around the club? Yeah, it's just. It was just bad. It's a lack. It was lack of preparation. The you know Port Adelaide will get to. It's a amazingly smart business decision for them to be able to sell off someone, someone else's, else's home, home game. game. And you know St Kilda can do with the money, and you know. If I'm going to divert here, because we probably won't really talk about it too much in the Port Adelaide side of things, is that uh, most people are talking about the China game. Why Why China? Why are we going there? Why are we spending money? You're like, well, it is for sponsors and it is for that. But a close friend of mine lived in China for a long time and, and his wife's a Chinese. Um, and he's, he's, a, he's a very passionate Carlton supporter, but that's neither here nor there. His constant thing is that Chinese, as a general thing, aren't a big contact sport and aren't a big team sport country. And they don't have the space for these AFL grounds. So, like, while it's great to have it there so you can have sponsors along, you know, A, people aren't coming basically because you have to bribe and and give a lot of tickets to a lot of government officials. Not bribe so much, but in return for this to happen, tickets to government officials, tickets to businesses, tickets to local people to make it happen so that then you get to the day and these people have got all these tickets but then they don't come. So it's like, yes, the AFL have given out their allocation, hence why it's sold out because they can't sell any more tickets Yeah. but then the people don't come. Yeah. And and it's apparently very difficult to get to It's not an easy ground to get to. So then on top of that, if you transition to a country like India, which is just down the road, Billion people, mm. team sport, the cricket is massive. Mm. The right-sized fields, the right-sized, um, you know, they've they got the right sort of, maybe the physicality might be lacking a touch, but... But is India as rich a country? No. No, but this the, is the what, countries... But this is what it comes down the to, country, money. But the, the sponsors coming out of India, the businesses and the organisations are rivaling China in terms of finances and like it's a hugely growing market and there's a lot of I don't know about the exact numbers but the amount of Indian migrants to Australia and Pakistani South South um, Southeast Asian uh, not really Southeast Asian the um, South Asian South Asian anyway that's a whole other um, yeah I just think China was was a disaster for their season and I think Agreeing to be a part of the China experiment was a mistake for them because the ramifications, the ongoing ramifications of them being part of it were so detrimental. Yeah. Yeah. Um, We need to power through this because you need to go soon. What are your general feelings on St Kilda's season quickly? Uh, I'm really glad. Well, I'm interested to see who their coach is going to be because that really changes how 20, (laughs) their next question as in yeah. how next year is going to look going forward. They're probably going to follow the trend and give it to Ratten. Like, let's be honest, it's, it's, a, it's a solid chance. I'm The only two people that – we didn't really talk too much about it, but the only two people that I think Carlton could have got away with hiring would have been Clarko or Ratten. Other than Teague. Other than mean. Teague. And there's a great – the podcast we were talking about with um, Kane Little, he talks about 
that Kane Little, that Teague was an option from the start. Yeah, which makes you question Chris Judd's public comments. No, they, that is a whole other thing we can talk about later on. And because he goes into those things a whole lot into the, in this, um, that conversation. But the fact that they haven't got, didn't get Ratten, that's okay. That's fine. Teague's great. But. You don't sound very convincing. No, well, as I said, the only two, <laughs> the only two people I think Carlton fans probably wouldn't have complained about complained about would have been Clarko, Ratten, or maybe like a John Longmire or a you know, no, no. I'm just saying, like, if you had everybody on the table, if everyone yeah. was uncontracted, yeah. But we obviously knew that he wasn't, and we knew that Clarko wasn't. So, any, like, yeah. and what I'm saying is, any club that gives Brad Scott a head coaching job from here deserve to. Be a bad club. Deserves what's coming. Yeah. Um, um, but, but basically, I think what Ratton said in the final press here, he talks about, like, it's a lot, of, lot we've got to do. And he was just very blunt and very, like, I can't say anything because I'm not here next year yeah. at this point. But there's a lot that Sikuna's got to do. And it's very, like, change it. Blah, blah, blah. And I think if they get him, then it's... Full steam ahead. It's full steam ahead and good on him. Um but then you kind of contrast that the only teams that finished in the top eight that they beat was Essendon in round two and Bulldogs in Who round Who are 20. literally the worst finals team. Yep, and the Bulldogs in round 21. And after that, that's when the Bulldogs started their run. So, like, it's not like they were even that competitive against the top teams. Yeah. You know, you look at Carlton, we, we beat a couple of the stronger teams and Sydney beat a couple of the teams that finished up there. So it was much like I said at the start, it's pretty meh. I think the question comes around the kinds of players they want to bring in. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen for the past two years, they've, obviously being a Sydney fan, I'm very aware of the players they're targeting because Dan Hanabry and now Zach Jones is on the yep. being talked about. In a lot of the way that Carlton and Adelaide have a lot of trade dealings, Sydney yeah. and Kilda have a lot of yeah. history. And it, it feels very much like the public perception anyway is that they're targeting players that are poor ball users but have other assets. Yeah. And that's the opposite kind of player that St Kilda needs. St Kilda need those classy ball users to complement what they have. Yeah. So if they're going to continue to target players that don't fill that hole, they're going to continue to be a middle or lower table team. It's as yep. simple as that. Um, I think they decline next year. The positives of this season came kind of through random bursts of effort and accuracy that seemed more lucky than they did planned. Um, but I think this club is definitely going to get worse before they get better, no yeah. matter who the coach is. I had them finishing at 17th last year. Um, sorry, 17th this season, and they finished 14th. So yeah. I don't see it being much different next year. Yeah. Let's take a very brief break, and then we're going to bring in another guest to continue to chat with us. So just a moment, we'll be back. Okay, we're back with this very special play-on review of all the AFLM non-finalists. I've got Jason Morrison here, and we've now been joined by noted Port Adelaide fan, Lisa Fletcher. Thank you for coming along. G'day, thank you. <laughs> so Lisa's jumped in. She's not done prep, but she has many feelings about football. So And these next two or three teams, some very strong feelings. So. <laughs> you might um, be right. <laughs> so we're powering along to Fremantle, who finished 13th. They won nine games with a percentage of 91.9. Solid. 
pretty solid. Uh, disappointing, though, I think. I had them finishing at 15th, so the fact they finished at 13th was I had them 14 to 16, actually. We were pretty, we were pretty, uh, pretty close. Who was your player to watch? Uh, my player to watch... Oh, where is it on here? Yeah, I had Jesse Hogan, a player to watch out for. And I've got a note here, and I can't remember the specific why I did it, but pulling a... Oh, that's right, pulling a Jordan Degoe, where at the start of the 2018, like, he broke his hand and blamed Punching it on the dog someone. and, like... But then having a great 2018 season. And, you know, I thought maybe Hogan would be a similar thing. It would take something and he would... I think you know, he was until he did his foot. Yeah, because he had the issues with alcohol at the start of the season and then there's some... Well, alcohol and mental illness. Well, that yeah. was the next thing I was going to say and there's a whole whole lot of st- well-documented stuff there. But um, I think that the injury, yeah, it didn't really, you know... The thing that's, that's underestimated about Jesse Hogan is his endurance and his ability to cover a lot of ground. Mm. So while he may not have been kicking goals earlier in the season for Frio, he was still having an impact getting up and kind of almost being a winger into the forward line for them. Yeah. And that he was kind of a linking player, big-bodied, tall linking player to help out those midfielders that maybe weren't quite on song so he could be that outlet for them and that I think went under the radar because a lot of people seem to judge Jesse Hogan's performance based on purely goals kicked or marks taken um, so I think we need to be a little bit more realistic when we judge players especially in the game now which is much more hybrid than it maybe was in the past mm. mine was Andy Brayshaw I think Another super consistent year for him in his second season. Um, he does a really good job supporting Mundy and Fife in the middle, but he didn't quite break out the way I kind of expected him to. Um, any club would be lucky to have him, but I think another having had another year under Fife and Mundy and then Mundy playing on next year for him to continue to learn for a third year yep. will benefit him. Um, but I think that, we very soon we're going to see Andy Brayshaw have one of those breakout games where you're like, holy fuck, this kid is amazing. Um, I expect that to come this year, but probably will happen next year. Because he's, he's said about 17 disposals a game, but when you've got Fife and Hill and even Langdon... Walters. 25. Well, I was going to say, yeah, Walters are averaging over 20 disposals a game. Yeah. Kind of sitting that... Next rung down. Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, who did you have uh, falling out of favour or under the pump? Uh, we're talking about Ken McCarthy. Yes, he's mine. We would, yeah. I think we were on the same page. I imagine yours is the same as well. Without thinking about it, off the cuff, yeah, I would say so. <laughs> yeah. So he, he had that game. His first first game, he kicked five goals. He was moving really well. He kind of was the guy up forward for them, and then. When they really needed him to step up when Tabernar and Hogan both got injured, he didn't step up. He just couldn't take that mantle. And it feels like he's perpetually just going to be that guy who can only be the third tall forward and he can't be the leader. Mm. And Frio have too many players that can't be the number one guy. They can be number two or number three. And that Shane Kirsten was one of those players who obviously retired now. But I think the difference was, and this is going into um, my kind of highlight and general feelings, is that Matt Tabernar finally started to show what he's been teasing his whole career, taking contested marks, kicking goals, consistently playing four quarters of footy. It was just unfortunate that he got injured because 
he finally was becoming the player that we've all been wanting him yeah. to be. Um, he stood up when Jesse Hogan went down and then he got injured himself. And Frio were just victim to these long-term injuries to really important players like Alex Pierce in defence. Rory Lobb was out for an extended period of time. Yep. Stephen Hill played only two games or something. So they just couldn't get those guys consistently out there. And particularly looking at their pre-season injuries, mm. there's a lot of like low, you know, TBCs, tests, like and this is before the first game, there's a lot of like, there's not a lot of long-term ones. They had a couple of, couple of weeks with some all, all minor stuff yeah. at that point. So, but that's all effective pre-season. It's yeah. obviously not a I mean, very... Alec, Alex Pierce was in Australian form before he went down. Mm. So losing a player like that, I mean... Yes, they had other very good defenders, but Alex Pierce was the leader of their back line. And to lose him for most of the season, that was just a it was just here's, disappointing for them. Here's a great nugget. 2019, uh, at the start of the year, I wrote down a whole bunch of just things so I was across it. Coach, captain, blah, blah, place. Fifth, this is my notes from March. 15th, we'll get off to a good start with positive vibe of the AFLW team in the finals but it will bottom out with injuries and Lyon will lose his job at the year's end. Literally the only thing you got wrong was 15th instead of 13th. That's it. And and what, they could have very easily... um, They were one game of finishing 15th. So... And had a lower percentage. Pretty spot on with them. I'm impressed by that. We should, should, I think, move on to improve decline or plateau in 2020. (laughs) I am... Oh, actually, the highlight was that Lion will lose his job at the year's end, that I've nailed that. So, great transition. Um, I think a lot of people probably agree with you yeah. on that one. Yeah. Look, in, not in defence of Lion, but one thing that's always enjoyable and watching a few clips. Press conferences. Press conferences and just like, just not taking, making the journalists not take themselves too seriously. Just kind of like yeah. trying to just mix it up a bit, but... Their low low was probably their loss to the Eagles, the Derby in round sixteen by a hundred points. So, um, yeah, that was disappointing. I'd like to say a low light was their loss to Carlton, when with no, <laughs> no Kerno, no Crips. You know, with a team that was, you know, had some of our strongest players out. The Murphy goal. The Murphy. Oh goodness! But their supporters after that, like as I mentioned before, it was like we'd won a final. But their supporters were so great. Yeah. I don't know if it was shell shock that they were so surprised that we won it, or just a genuine good bunch of fans. It was like, great, well done. That was the genuine energy. Like, oh well, we lost, or they're just so far gone with their team. Like, all right, Carlton <laughs> won. It's unsurprising. Who knows? <laughs> um, and then, like you say about the general feeling of the season. Um, another shout out to the How Goods Footy guys. They're talking about Trent Cooper coaching the wins. And Ross Lyon Ross coaching, Lyon coaching the, losses. the losses. So maybe, uh, you know, maybe Trent Cooper might get the call up for a... He did show a very nice attacking brand of football in the AFLW. Mm. Uh, well, again, we beat them there too, so uh, <laughs> good chat. Lost the grand final. Improved decline or plateau in 2020? Uh, all depends on the senior coach. Actually, I think I might have got my notes mixed up for the last one. I think I said that for you did. for St Kilda. Yeah. Because, but it's the same thing. It's accurate. It's still accurate. But more so this one, it really depends on who their senior coach is because they could do like Sydney this year, next year, and like once they kind of weed out the players who've had enough of that organisation and getting out of there and kind of clearing out the deadwood who have just been burnt out by... 
Ross Lyon. Ross Lyon, etc. Get a few fresh freshies in, a few players who want to head that way and then really gel together. But how do you, how do you call that without knowing what the coach is? Because a new coach, if they announce it in the next couple of months, next month, say, then they then have to work on their list and who are they going to... But I think Freo have a good list. But still, any coach that comes in is going to make uh, their changes. Yeah, because there's always that bottom end that you need to adjust. But Freo have a better list than their last four years have given us. Results, yeah. Because I don't think Ross Lyon knows how to coach a team that isn't already at its peak. Mm. He didn't grow St Kilda into a grand final team. He grew them from a finals team into a grand final team. Yeah. As soon as they dropped off the cliff, he was gone. Frio, he coached them a, a good list to a grand final, and then once they dropped off the cliff, he had no answers. And he's, So should Ross Lyon go to Essendon? Ross Lyon should go in the bin and just <laughs> not have it. I don't understand why people think he's this. I, I don't get why people think he's a master coach, just like I never understood why people thought Rodney Ede was a master coach. Mm. Don't see it. I don't. I, a master coach is someone that can adjust and make changes. And people will argue with me for this. I think Chris Scott is that guy. It may not be. It, people say he's got no plan B. He's got no. Plan. I think he does, but it's just very subtle. And the changes that he's made, he makes are effective, but you don't notice them on a grand scale. Just like John Longmire. Everyone says he doesn't have a plan B. I think that's rubbish. Look at the game. Look at the way they changed the game style this year, but the game against Melbourne last year where Alex Johnson went down, Nick Smith went down, we were down two defenders. Mm. The adjustments he made to solidify the defence to win that game is a plan B. And the fact that no one wants to acknowledge it because they have this perception in their heads that this coach can't change what he does and if it doesn't work, then they lose. They're just comfortable being ignorant. I get Anyway. Improved decline of plateau of Freo in 2020, Lisa. <laughs> I agree with Jace. It's all about what happens with the coaches. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting choice to drop line with one game left, you know, and there's a lot of debate yeah. about that, about why they did it. Um, I guess they'd had enough. Well, the CEO got sacked as well in yes. the same thing. Very interesting. Mm. And who wouldn't want to be a fly on the wall? in those meetings and know what the hell was going on in there. Yeah. Um, I would like to think they're going to improve. Yeah. I think that maybe this is the kick up the bum that they needed as a club mm. after a while of disappointing seasons. But it's all up in the air at the moment. It is, isn't it? Yeah. For five teams, well, three teams. Um, I think they're going to plateau purely because I don't think – a new coach can come in and have an immediate improve. Like you'll see improvements, mm. but I don't think they're going to shoot up the ladder. I think they'll stay around that spot, and then maybe the year after see the improvement. Realistically, it takes a couple of years. Yeah, any not, team knows that. Not just for the recruitment, but for the gelling as a group. Yeah, and, and understanding for the of game style. Absolutely. Yeah, except if you're the Swans, you only need one one year out. <laughs> or if you're Carlton, and you need just one week. Forty years. <laughs> Hey, oh, the difference—the difference between the Essendon game and the Brisbane game, like, yeah, still ninety-five. Um, we're up to North Melbourne. Still sixteen <laughs> premierships. That see that number can't be counted. 
can be counted. Because One, there's two, so three, much four, controversy five, around different <laughs> leagues and... Uh, um, yes, we have many thoughts on that, don't we, Jace? Yes. About premierships in different leagues. We've had I'm several taking, fights I'm about that. I'm taking what the official stats are at present. And if that official stat changes, then I'm happy to accept I think it. In my, in my head, it only counts in the AFL era, which means you guys are even. Sydney's ahead. Um, <laughs> we're up to North Melbourne. North Melbourne finished 12th with 10 wins, 12 losses, and a percentage of 99.5. Um, my player to watch ahead of the season was Jared Pollock. Mm. I've been a big fan of Jared Pollock mm. for a very long time. Um, and I think he really balanced out North's kind of really brutal inside midfielders, which is something that they've been missing because they have so many inside mids that use the ball poorly but can punch people or get the <laughs> ball on the inside. You have How nice... he wasn't suspended this year, I don't know. Ben Cunnington deserved to be suspended five times this year. Anyway, did? Did. He didn't get suspended. No, I'm saying did with a full stop. Did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I think Pollock's a jet, and he has a really big impact on Gabe's, not just through his accurate disposal, but just the distance he's able to cover with his disposal. Um, but North need to make more of his impact. I don't think they maximise what he can do for them. And I think Reece Shaw... That will be a focus of his in the off-season is how do we maximise what Jared Pollock can do for us? Because I remember games at Port where you guys were down and out and he comes out and he kicks a goal from outside 55 and then impacts on the half-back line and he completely changed the game. I didn't see that happening for North because they didn't let him off the leash enough. He's definitely a workhorse and I did not want to lose him. When I heard he was leaving, I was like... You can't say no to that kind of offer, yeah. but I want you to. <laughs> but just We'll get to this with Port, but I think in the long run it worked out well because Darcy Byrne-Jones stepped up into that role. Burn, yeah. Don't get me started on We'll talk about Byrne-Jones later, okay. my mate Darcy. Um, and I agree with you, <laughs> yeah. but it was still sad yeah. to see Polly go. Uh, I know um, it's a common thing in Adelaide to talk about the Eddie Betts pocket. Me and my port mates, we talk about the Polly pocket. <laughs> Um, and I miss saying that yeah. during games. I miss his work. I miss his speed. I miss his smarts. Yep. And I think our midfield has missed that this year, but we'll get into that. <laughs> he's the kind of player I think that um, he doesn't he, – he's not a confidence player. So if he does a couple of things that don't quite come off early in a game, it doesn't affect him for the rest of the game. He's able to turn it, whereas there are too many other players who once they're down, it's hard to get them back up. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't let himself get – kind of restricted by that. No, he's a silent achiever. Yeah. yeah. And there were a lot of people talking, uh, mocking North Melbourne for the money they were willing to give him, but he's worth every dollar. He's I, Okay, I think he's worth more than Ben Cunnington. I don't rate Ben Cunnington at all. Jason, who was your player to watch? I had, uh, I had Polek as well. Oh, did you? Um, but, uh, yeah, and I think... Um, I've, it's all been said. Like, yep. you know, it was great to, to watch. I think as the season went on, there was a couple of other ones that I was definitely watching, like LDU, Davis Uniaki, who had a good yeah. start. Um, Cunnington, when he wasn't bashing people. <sighs> I have feelings about Cunnington, other than the punching people consistently and getting away with it. I think that he... For his game to be great... Similar to Tom Mitchell, for his game to be great, he relies on outside runners to finish his work. Yep. Whereas you have someone like a Luke Parker, who is similarly built, plays a similar role, 
he can finish his own work as well as work with others. Yeah. He doesn't rely on someone else getting the ball off the back of his hard work to get a goal or to move the ball. Parker can do both. And there there are others. Jack Zebel even can do both. Whereas Cunnington, he's purely that inside mid. And once the ball's out of a contested area, he's not super useful because he doesn't use the ball that well. And I don't think he makes great decisions. And I know that people will come down on me hard for that because people love Ben Cunnington, but I don't get it. Yeah. I, for North Melbourne, what they needed, like there was a lot of... I felt there's a lot of gaps in North Melbourne. Mm. and But Sean Higgins is the balanced player. You know what I mean? Higgins can go contested and uncontested yeah. and finish well, whereas Cunnington can only do the contested side. Well. Yeah. Anyway, who was your player to fall out of favour? I actually had one I missed saying is one of the other ones to watch was Bailey Scott. Um, he only oh, played a handful yes. of games. Well, he got the Rising Sun on in round one. He yeah, was amazing he, he in that game. He only played four games for the year, so... Um, you Huge know. upside to him. So there wasn't, and like, still plenty of, to watch out for him for. Plenty there of are so many Baileys in the in both AFL <laughs> yeah. and AFLW now. Western Bulldogs um, have so many. My my player to fall out of my quote was that Pittard would get delisted at the end of the year. <laughs> I um, believe you still have a bet about Jasper Pittard. Well, the bet that I have is opposite to what I just said. Is with a, <laughs> uh, I've got a bet that. Jasper Pittard will get one Brownlow vote. It's a $50 Ooh. bet with a friend of ours. He wasn't terrible this year. No, that's the thing. Like The, the days of the Pittard clangor may be over. <laughs> and it's hard for me to admit to that because I used to love Ruben on that guy. I love him, but I loved Ruben on him as well. Yeah. And I feel like those days are nearly gone. And I love that he gets referred to as the goth of the AFL, the kangaroo goth. Um, he's he's a talented artist, and he does a lot of graphic design for North. He has now. the same hairdresser as Lisa. He goes to my hairdresser in Brunswick. Really? He's a Brunswick hipster. Oh, you can tell that he gets his hair cut in Brunswick. <laughs> so I think that's uh, he's he seems to have fitted in pretty well in Melbourne. Like <laughs> he wanted to come back here. He was from Geelong. No, he didn't. This is the thing. Like he we didn't watched... want to come back. He didn't want to leave Port. We were watching a game mid-season. I can't remember which game it was. But there was a segment with him and Polly yeah. and they interviewed them about their move to North Melbourne. And he looked like a sad child in really? this interview and he was saying how Port Adelaide had been my home for nine years and I didn't want to leave but, you know, that's the way of football and I'm here now and I guess I've got Polly so it's all right. And I was watching this. I was nearly crying watching this going, oh, my God, what did we do to him? <laughs> What did we do? It was the collateral damage in that poly yeah. deal. And I was like, oh, shit. Steak knives. Yeah, yeah, I yeah felt barely. It was after the that. teaspoons and. I felt bloody awful about it. But and he I, seems after to me, have grown. Yeah. 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 The, like I said, I think the days of the clangor are over for him. Mm. And I mean, I don't want to talk about the game the other week where they absolutely demolished us, but he was seamless getting yeah. that ball out of the back line. And that made me want to cry as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, my play to fall out of favour was Scott Thompson, who I notably dislike. He's retired now, thank goodness. Um, we consistently saw him revert back to his bullying ways when he was being outdone, particularly when young players were showing him up. Um, he's he's so often – this is the North Melbourne thing. North Melbourne love – like shit blokes. You, you like they constantly, often... every time we have conversations about North Melbourne, it constantly, men's and women's, constantly comes up about the rough 
style of play that they Yeah, and, enforce. like, the off-the-ball shit that they do in both men's and women's. It's just not nice. Like, Emma Carney dropping knees, which she never did at the Dogs. She never did that at Dogs, but as soon as she went to North, she started dropping knees into players. And, like, Scott Thompson bullying Tom McCartan and Nick Blakey because he was being outdone. But, like, you're 32. Like, be a man. And he just... Well, be a, be an adult, I should say. He just doesn't. He just... Oh. But North have this habit of just, like, praising shit blokes. Do we, is this the Wayne Carey conversation? Well, Are we Wayne going Car- down that There's road? so many. I feel like we can just let that go through to the keeper because but it's so well But you know so what well I mean? Like, documented. they have just this habit of, like, celebrating these people that are just awful. And obviously Scott Thompson is not Wayne Carey levels of bad, but they seem to relish in this kind of nasty personality thing. And it could be just a personality on the field like Scott Thompson. I'm sure he's a lovely guy. Or it's a shit bloke off the field like Wayne Carey. But, like... They just seem to like being the people that everyone else hates. Mm. I don't get it. Anyway, that's my rant about Scott Thompson. He's gone now. <laughs> Robbie Tarrant was better than him. Um, highlight was Reese Shaw going bang. His immediate influence on a stagnant playing group was really evident. Yep. Making things simple. Simplifying things. S- same thing as what we talked about with Carlton. Simplified yeah. it. Just wanted them to get out there and have a... Mm. Do what they do best. Do what they were hired for. I think Shaw is an asset, but he's mm. quite inexperienced. So he came to North at the he's start the of the season. On. Yeah. So he was he was a NEFL coach at the Swans and moved to North at the start of this year. And after, what, 12 rounds, he was a senior coach. So that happened very quickly. So I'm interested to see how he grows into the role. Not mm. that I don't believe he can. Um, he's just super inexperienced. Mm. Reshaw looks like the alien emoji on your phone. So many people say that he looks like Gru from Despicable Me, <laughs> which I think is more accurate. I really need to... Uh... Um, my low light, though, uh, round 21 against Geelong. Not sure you can go past the club's lowest score since the 20s. Um, in a demolition job, which Geelong should have actually won by a lot more because they kicked poorly. Mm. Um, North... Did we talk about the highlight? Have we already gone past the highlights as well? My highlight was reshot. What's yours? Oh, I had Ben Brown's 10 because to kick it to, even though it was against Gold, Gold Coast, Coast, it's still like to get a 10. I was listening to a podcast on the way here about the 1989 grand final and they're talking <sighs> about that Ablett Paul kicked Sam- nine and... Paul Salmon? Was that the Salmon game? No. No, that was the Dermot Berenden getting breaking his ribs right. Oh, yeah. you know, and they're they're talking about that season and they're talking about the numbers that got like nine goals here, ten, throwing it out like it's nothing. Mm. And so, like for rarity for a ten goal game, like it's just that's right, buddy. Buddy did nice. it. Two it's ago. just not a common thing. Off the um, back heel and against Liam Jones to win the common. To win the common. Thank you for not mentioning the bag that he kicked against us as well. We can just skip over that. How many but. did he kick against you guys? We'll get there when we get to put it. Um, and I didn't want to say it out loud. The low light for me, I think, was Mad Jacks injuring himself in the VFL. Like yeah. how, like may he may we did say this at the start of the year about the games look forward to was his comeback, and mm. I think the VFL comeback was yeah really and people got around him. Got it, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, he had his first kid this week, which is really oh, cute. That you show photo me. is adorable. That kid oh is very cute God. as well. Yeah. Um, so, I, well, I think next year will be great when he gets a run back in the first and maybe it's better that 
obviously they were never going to rush him back, but, mm. you know, uh, maybe like against the Gold Coast, he might have actually, they might have put him in just for a, yeah. some game time. But um, that was a bit of a, I think we'd all kind of, all, everyone was rooting for him. Yeah. And um, um, general feelings about the season? Yeah. Uh, mine, mine starts with most feelings I have about North are negative. Um, but this probably sits around – it's it's a bit of a so-so season, kind of similar to Fremantle, I think. Fremantle. I don't know why my mouth went that way. Um, I think North's upside is huge, but also their ability to just not rock up to games is dangerous. Yeah. Um, but I think North's young talent hasn't really been a thing in the Brad Scott era. But this year we saw some young talent actually impact games. So – um, I think Zerha and Larky are kind of the, the guys in particular. Zerha, there's so much upside to him. Yeah, and Larky, he is someone that I had noted down as a. Yeah, and Larky just looks like a guy that can command a forward line. So th- there's a lot to like about North's young guys. They just needed a coach that was willing to play them consistently, which is something Brad Scott was not willing to do. Um, improve, decline, or plateau in 2020? I don't. <sighs> I don't see them improving. I'd probably say plateau. I'd say that Reeshaw's got a lot to learn. Yeah. In a very short period of in time. In a short period of time. And how he's going to do that in the off-season. How he'll, you know, again, he might be a little bit more of the second half of the season will really show how he's doing. Like, they might win. I reckon they might come out and win some unexpected games at the start of the year. Mm. But the second half of the season will really be quite lose to people who they'll lose to, mm. win against people who they win. Nothing nothing to write home about. And it'll be another couple of years before they're, you know, a Prop team thing. of, yeah, yeah. I think it come, might come more down to their recruitment yeah, and their draft picks because, they, like I said, there are gaps in that team and how well they do in off-season in terms of their recruitment could make all the difference. So so what you're saying is they should trade Mason Wood for Zach Jones is what you're saying, right? I neither agree or disagree <laughs> with that comment. That could happen, I guess. I would love, I would love for that to happen. Um, another, sorry, another I'd game. I'd love it if they didn't take any more of our players. <laughs> Speaking of your players, I had another – the other game to watch – was the game versus Port and round, I had noted here getting round twenty two when yeah. obviously Polek and Pittard would play against it and uh, I think you left at three quarter time. Was that your I've feelings? never left a game. I've never left a Port Adelaide game ever. Until but I left at three quarter time. Wow. Because I was appalled. And in, I was actually embarrassed. Were Port tanking? Oh disgusting. <laughs> ben Ben Brown kicked ten. Yeah. Oh, on did, us. Did he get 10, 10 twice well. this yes. year? I didn't, I didn't even want to say it out loud. I didn't even know that. <laughs> I don't want to know that information. I wish How I didn't did he know that. he 10 twice this season and no one's talking about him? Because. <sighs> Jesus. Anyway, Sideshow Bob. Ben Brown deserves a better club. Um, I think they'll plateau. I think their win-loss will be similar, but their consistency will improve. So. Yeah. Those losses will become narrower. The wins will maybe become a bit bigger. Their percentage will grow, but I don't see them winning more games. Yeah. So I had the North finishing at 13th and they actually finished at 12th. So that was one of the probably, I think that six that were plus two. I had eight to 13. So we're both pretty spot on. Yeah. All right. So let's. Now on to one of my favourite clubs, one of my favourite non Melbourne clubs. 
<laughs> Lisa's going to punch. Um, so we're up to Adelaide, <laughs> uh, who finished 11th uh, with 10 wins, 12 losses, and a percentage of 100.9. I'd, uh, I'd finished a ninth for them this I'd year. Five this to eight. The finals. Mm. I think this is the most disappointing club of the season. I wholeheartedly well, I, agree. Yeah, but the, Melbourne, though. But I think there are reasons for Melbourne. Yes, Melbourne were much worse than we expected. Melbourne was still the most disappointing club of the season. But Adelaide are a disappointing... Adelaide are a pile of broken rubble. I think when I say club, I mean club as a whole. Whereas okay. with Melbourne, I think on-field The issue is on-field. Yeah, and, and not is... getting players on the field. Yeah. And my mates who are from Adelaide and Crows fans totally agree with that. Um, the whole club is trash? Yes, yeah. at the moment. <laughs> it, it's to amazing. quote Mark Rusciuto, go and follow somebody else then. How fucked up is that, though? Mm. Like, oh, But, like, the fact that they got rid of their premiership-winning AFLW coach because they refused to give her a full-time job like she was after and then hiring a dude and giving him a full-time job. Yes, he's great, but... Oh, Beck Goddard is quite impressive. I think that in itself showed how they view the club and the value of people. Mm. At the start of the year, they had a lot of... They cleaned out a lot of players. They delisted six players and traded two or three more. And even then, at the start of the year, they only had a handful of injuries. So it wasn't like they went into the year But this is what I mean. Melbourne didn't win as many games and they fell further on the ladder. But Adelaide, for what they had at their disposal and what they put out... So disappointing. This is what I mean. Like they, it wasn't like they went into it going, "We've got, you know, Gallucci got delisted. And he was injured at the start of the year. Shane McAdam, McPherson, Himmelberg. Gallucci got delisted. Mm. I'm pretty sure until Gallucci got delisted after this season. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Let me have a look here on my um, machine. I feel like they haven't announced their delistings. Maybe I'm looking at another team. It was a former Carlton player who got uh, got delisted. Anyway, maybe they haven't and I'm thinking of somebody else. But point of the story is, is it wasn't like they had a huge injury list going into the season. No, and they didn't make finals last year to have an extra month of football to play either. I'm yeah. comparing to Melbourne directly, obviously. But Adelaide, most disappointing. Who was your player to watch? Player to watch was Tom Doty, which... Who did his knee? Did his knee in game one against Hawthorne. Oh. So we really didn't get to see much of him. Yeah. It... I had Wayne Miller, who... I think he missed a few games through injury, but he came back and he didn't really have any standout games. He was just kind of okay, which was a bit disappointing because he's one of those players that can kind of bring that flash of brilliance and change a game. And he just we didn't see him do that this year, which feels symptomatic of where the club was at because we've seen Wayne Miller do that consistently last year. But this year was kind of apathetic. Um, who was your player to fall out of favour? Well, I'm very strong on mine. <laughs> uh, well, I know that, I know Lisa's one straight off the bat, but who? Uh, I was say um, when, like I said before, when I was oh. writing these notes, I I was literally reading up and kind of going over everything and talking about Eddie Betts before with Carlton. Like this was everyone was like Eddie Betts is going to Carlton as I'm like reviewing this, and then my notes on Eddie Betts were like he had half the amount of goals in 18 from the year before and there was whispers in wanting to lead Adelaide then and I wouldn't have been surprised if he'd retired and obviously he's stayed here, stayed on still, but the chances of him being at Adelaide next year are getting... Would you want to stay there? 
No, I don't want With the way there, they treat their players, go to play for them. But the the, the way <laughs> we'll have words after. <laughs> the way they treated Lever when he left seems to be symptomatic of the way they treat everyone. It's either you do things the way we want you to do them, yeah. or we hate you and treat you like garbage. Like it's just such a bad culture. Yeah. Which is why I was so surprised that Rory Sloan stayed. There's been whispers of you know dissent for quite a while since yeah. the infamous pre-season camp. And the um, staring down. Yes, and the mind games and the manipulation and all of that. And I don't think anyone's surprised that Betts no. wants to leave. So who was your – who's this player that – Oh, Tex. Oh, okay. Yeah, fair. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm one of the masses who just cannot stand him. Yeah. Uh, and that comes from a lot of different things. Yeah. I guess. But I think he's systematic of the culture there. Well, he's as the captain. Well. The he's, fact that he's, he's the leader. Yeah, and I, I know he cops a lot of flack and there's mixed opinions on whether he deserves that or not. When he doesn't, you can't be that kind of captain off the field if you don't put up the performances on the field. And he didn't put up the performances on field this no. year. And that's where the issue comes in. If he's going out there and being amazing three out of four weeks a year. Like a nat five. Then you can deal with some of the kind of almost militaristic kind of captaincy that he holds, which is what Nat Five does. But when you expect this of your players, of your like players at your club, and then you don't put out the same expectation, then there's always going to be questions, isn't there? Mm. Mine kind of goes back to Tex Walker. Actually, mine's Josh Jenkins, and everyone knows that I don't like Josh Jenkins. Everyone knows that I think that. He's a it sounds very harsh, harsh, but I think he's a wasted part of their list. He's thirty one. He was injured. He plays a very similar role to Taylor Walker, but I think Taylor Walker is a better player than he is. Taylor Walker has more versatility to his game. Taylor Walker doesn't rely on sitting over the back and getting the goals over the back. I also wonder why they chose to play him consistently and not play um, Darcy Fogarty. Fogarty. When we saw the impact he had coming in late in the season, we saw the impact Darcy Fogarty had last year. Why wasn't Darcy Fogarty playing all season when you can get those games into your young guys, especially young key position players who take longer mm. to get that experience? Why wasn't he getting games from round one? Why was Josh Jenkins in the side? Every Crows fan wants to know the answer to that. It's just absurd that that's the way, and everyone kind of just accepted that that's what was happening. It's just like, why? I don't understand how Jenkins was still on a list this year. Is it because he signed that long contract a while ago, they don't have to pay something out or something like that? Because otherwise there are questions about their list management, their match selection, all that sort of stuff. Because Fogarty, incredible. Trade him to Sydney if you don't want him. Fuck. You look at, you look at what – I'm just kind of tying in with Port next, but latter half of the year, Port dropped some of its bigger names. Mm. And made statements with it. And made statements with it and got results out of it for the most. Sometimes. Not every time. Every second week. <laughs> that, that's, that's Port Adelaide's you know, football style. Uh, but when Adelaide did it, yeah, you drop Eddie Betts. Everyone loves Eddie Betts. Yeah, he might not be, have been playing at his best, but Eddie's a 13-possession person a game, two or three goals, and a team lifter. Like, 
is he the one that should have been dropped for... No. You know, they're trying to make statements, but the statements were the wrong... Statements, statements. yes. There's another pet peeve, I know, with my mates who are Crows fans, that there's very little communication between club and supporter. Mm. And that's And then when there is communication, it's you like it or don't support us. Yeah, and it's wearing very thin. Oh, they're lucky they've got a double premiership winning AFLW team. Otherwise, I reckon they'd have lost a lot more supporters. What was the season highlight for you? Sorry, we've got to power through because you have work to get through. Yes, we do. (laughs) Um, Season highlight, well, it's two... uh, I suppose they're going to the next one, but um, they've announced... We're going to sweeping changes. We're going to like it should have happened twelve months ago. It should have happened after twenty eighteen and, mm-hmm. and the capitulation. The, the, the situation that Adelaide are in end of last year, the situation that Melbourne are in now, where it's like the year just did not like they, they on paper finished in the top bracket as, cl- as close as you can you know third, mm. second to Adelaide and Melbourne third, and then bottom right out. Like that's when. Changes should be made, not another year of seeing if it'll the ship will. And still playing guys that are over thirty that aren't putting up the yep. performances when you have the young guys on your list that can do it. Yep. Like Elliot Himmelberg, keep playing him. He's dynamic. He gives you something different. Yep. Hugh Greenwood, he can go in the middle contested ball and go forward and take contested marks. Why are those guys being dropped for Josh Jenkins? Why? Anyway, I'll keep. I don't want to keep my season <laughs> highlight. Up to your highlight was round eleven against Melbourne. Unfortunately, um, they kind of came from behind, two point victory in the dying moments. They showed some fight, which is something that Adelaide fans hadn't seen a lot of this season. So it kind of gave them, okay, that's still there. They still want it. Um, it was just unfortunate we didn't see more of that from them. But low light round sixteen showdown. Against you guys losing. Oh, I had the mm. same thing. I had the losing by fifty seven. Basically, the bye after the bye, they won the first showdown by twenty points, and then the second, and then they they beat Brisbane. Sorry, that they went down to Brisbane by a point and West Coast by two goals. So that's pretty like good middle of the year. Mm. And then after the bye, thrash like they got thrashed by Port. Best um, game of the year. <laughs> <laughs> but then also, if you're talking from Adelaide point of view, and we mentioned it with the Carlton, is the pick swap, is that they were sitting in the top four, top five in that earlier part of the season, and they were going to get pick one. Yeah. And they would have been like, fucking get A. Like, this is exactly what we need. Like, yeah. then to watch that flip yeah. is like, they'd be like, we wasted. Obviously, it's mostly based on Carlton, but even then Carlton finished... 16th. So but it was in their hands to take it. It was in their hands to get a top top three pick. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, that's systematic. That's emblematic of the whole operation in the last 18 months. Yeah. I think we kind of got through the general feelings of the season with a lot of that conversation. So let's skip yeah. that. Um, improved decline or plateau in 2020. Lisa. I'm saying decline, I'm going for it. Nothing's going to change. And, I mean, that they could make a dramatic change in the off-season with their leadership group when with their recruitment. Like, who knows? But will that be an immediate change or will that I take I think time? they need a culture change. It's not even necessarily about the playing group. They've got culture problems and yeah. that is something that's much harder to change and that could take a long time. Yeah. I had that they would have finished the year 
we'll just miss out on finals and finish ninth. So ninth, tenth. So which they did. Um, I don't think the team will get worse on the field, but I don't think they'll improve. I've got them declining. I think off-season review takes time to have an impact. That's not going to immediately change what they do. It might give but them... They've still got the talent there. So like... But but do they? What talent do they have? The Crouch brothers who... Matt Crouch gets a lot of possessions but doesn't do heaps with it. Brad Crouch probably does a bit more with a few less. They have Rory Sloan who's... 30, he's yeah. coming towards the end. Unless they're playing those young guys like Fogarty, Him- Himmelberg, Greenwood, who's 27, but he's inexperienced. Yeah. Unless they're playing those guys week in, week out, do they have the talent there? Well, maybe that's the one of the differences between, even though that is the older stuff, and when we come to Port Adelaide, maybe that is where the that key difference is between the two clubs, because they finished the year pretty much parallel. It was, yeah. you know. Um, anyway, yeah, well, let's move on to Port Adelaide then. I um, yeah, or up to port. Okay, Lisa, it's your time to shine. I had them <laughs> um, finishing 6th to 10th, and they ended up 10th. I had them uh, finishing 10th, and they finished 10th. Yeah, so. well, you didn't do the predictions with us. Uh, <laughs> 11 wins, 11 losses, 105.4%. Um, my player to watch was Dan Houston. Mm. Big fan of him. Me too. Um, I think the way he reads the ball... Um, across that half back line and then can go forward and be damaging if you need him to is such an asset. But then also the way he teams up with Clurie and Jonas in that back line, their intercept marking ability between the three of them because they all just read the ball so well from the back half, I think that is really damaging. And the fact that Houston at the age of, what, 22? He's 22? He made the 22 squad. So he captained Mm. the side. This year when the captains were out. Yeah. That, that's incredible. So he is the future of this club. Players like that and Clurie, who I really want to come to the Swans. Um, Get your hands off my man. <laughs> after, after he kept Tom Hawkins goalless and possessionless almost. Oh, um, I love that man. Amazing. Um, yeah. So I think Dan Houston definitely lived up to the player to watch expectations. Who was yours? I had a player to watch out for. I had Boxhead. Uh, Ollie Wines. Ollie Wines, That's Wines, sorry. Ollie Wines the and, Boxhead. Um, and then I've got Lysette next to him as well. Um, but he ended up becoming the second string behind Laddams. Was it Laddams? Laddams is the... Well, Laddams is our up-and-coming Ruckman. Yeah, yeah, so there were times he, when... I feel like him and Ryder took turns alongside Laddams for a while. Yeah. Laddams only really came in towards the end of the year. Um, he was killing it in the snaffle. And I think Ken wanted to give him a go. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, oh, one thing we spoke about a lot, and maybe Lisa can throw a two cents in, we spoke a lot about the um, enjoyment of watching Port Adelaide lose their minds about captain lose two dual captains. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, amongst every other Port fan, has very strong feelings on this. And I think this was an incident that maybe prompted that email from our CEO, KT. Oh, that was wild People email. were very upset about it. This is... Mental. <laughs> like, this is insane that this is something that people get mad about. It's important to us. It's an important thing. It's, it's I mean, people argue with, um, it's only been since the 80s. How can you call it a tradition when it's saying it's only been going since the 80s? But that's, you know, 30 plus years. I think that's long enough for it to be important. You know, it's been going on for almost my entire life. So for me, that's important. Um, it's a symbol of leadership in our club that our captain wears the number one, and it's something that we've held true for a long time. 
and for the fans to say up and say, we want that to continue and the club to go, yeah, nah, wasn't good. Who would you have chosen as your sole captain? Probably Jonas for now. Well, he's older as he's well, He's older he? and a bit more experienced. That's the only reason. It's nothing against Boxhead at all. Do you – well, he didn't get picked because he was a few players behind anyway, Wines, for parts of the season. But do you think Jonas – him getting the captaincy was a way to get him to re-sign? Because he was no out of contract I last know. year. Potentially. I mean, it makes sense. But I've got no idea. I did hear whispers. I haven't actually spoken to you about this, but, you know, I love this time of year because there's so many whispers. <laughs> Um, Ollie Wines going to Carlton, but that's a whole other story. Ollie Wines isn't leaving Port Adelaide. <laughs> there's been chats about him. Obviously, there's been chats about Ryder, well, which is probably a bit more substantiated. I'd be heartbroken if he left, but I could understand. Like, we've got Laddams coming up and Lysette. We've got three really strong Ruckman. Yeah. So but I also Sam Pepper. If Sam yes. Pepper leaves, then Ollie Wines immediately goes up a place in terms of big body mids. Yep. So. Mm. Um, who's Highlight. your player to fall out of favour? Uh, I actually didn't have a name in that space, so <laughs> he didn't dare. I didn't dare. <laughs> didn't you know? I had I had Jack Watts, um, and we kind of saw a glimpse of him that round one against Melbourne, that interview, and then he got injured, and then people kind of completely forgot he existed, and we've had very few updates on him. Maybe that's not talking negative on him, but maybe that's not. The worst thing, maybe the last 12 months has been a pretty, up until 12 months from start of the season. But also consider the way his career started, how much talk there was about him as well. Mm. Maybe some forgetting the exists for a little while Mm. is good for him. I think he had enough attention, whether negative or positive. I think he had more than his fill. And he brought, um, brought a lot of it on, on himself. 100%. And he, yeah. I think he did acknowledge that. I can't remember exactly where that, how that interview went, but I think I he did I say... I didn't feel that. You were, you were like, oh, my gosh. Like it's, I didn't care. I, I, like, I got emotional watching it, 100%. He was honest. He said, look, it's not been great, but this is turning the corner. Yeah. And for a 27-year-old, 28-year-old guy to be like, okay, yeah, it's been hard. Now this is where it changes. That's a pretty big thing, I think. Uh, but is he part of Port's future, do you think? Yeah, I yeah? think so. I think he's found a home with us, and I think if he can get his body right. What was Hi- your season highlight for them? I've got three highlights. I both... kind of technically have three as well, but it's in one. I've got three in one and three overall. Um, I had the game versus Geelong, where yeah. they won when they weren't when expected they shouldn't to. Have won. Shouldn't have won. Again, that is emblematic. That of... was Geelong's first loss for the season, wasn't it? I think so. After, it was post After the bye, so they yeah. got him at the right time. I think... That sums up Port Adelaide's season of winning when they weren't supposed to and losing when they weren't supposed to. Yeah. Um, the showdown thrashing, that was a delight. Any showdown win is great, right? 100%. But a thrashing is even better. Yeah. Um, particularly on Adelaide who are not performing. You kind of watch it and go, oh. We're the better club. Great. Um, but then the trio. The, uh, That's what I've got. Rosie, Butters and Dersma. And... Um, and the arrow, Love and in the last Ken game when Ken arrow. doing Ken. it was as though it was scripted. Like it was just, <sighs> I was watching that. And I was like, "This is beautiful. This is just like he's he backs it." Yeah, he's like, "Great, these kids are like." Anyway, you can talk. You can I think, yeah. This. I mean, Durs copped a bit of shit for the arrow. Um, people calling him a flog and arrogant and all this kind of stuff just I for having it. a signature 
thing. Like, Which was dedicated to his mum as well. Yeah, it's a thing between his mates from high school and stuff. So it's innocent. Yeah. You know, it's a bit of fun. When AFL is so serious these days, All like the time. where the characters are gone pretty much. It's nice to have a bit of fun. Yeah. You know, and every, a lot of players have a celebration thing that they do. It might not be the same thing every time. Some guys lose their minds when they kick a goal. Yeah. And that's great. Look at Tom Papley when he kicks a goal. <laughs> you know, I think we need more stuff like that. And for people to call him a flog for something Stupid. simple is ridiculous. And obviously I'm biased towards him, but no matter yeah. what, I think it's ridiculous. And so at the end of the season, for him not to do it, probably feeling a bit deflated being the end of the season, for Ken to back him up mm. and That's be like, huge. I got you. And Ken has encouraged him since the first arrow to keep doing it and yeah. not bow down to mm. outward pressure. Which is awesome. Ken I didn't love do it. the head flick and that was disappointing. Well, that's the signature part yeah. of it, isn't it? The <laughs> nod at the end. Who was, was it at Richmond training? Was it Sydney Stack that did it? One of the Richmond guys at training, there's a video of them, after. I think after they beat Port, he kicks a goal at training and then he, he does it. And it's, <laughs> oh, really? It's, it's good-natured, but it's like it's a bit cheeky at the same time. I'm like, well done. I hope it was Stack. It was one of the – well, it might have even been um, – uh, I can't – anyway, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Um, uh, the low light for hold me. On, my highlight. <laughs> I want to mention that Connor Rosie, like the, those three guys, is the highlight for me. But Connor Rosie, his kind of charismatic personality, backed up by kicking goals and being their leading goal kicker, mm. so exciting. Yeah, yeah. Like that encapsulates those three guys. I think hardworking, get the results on the field, but also. A bit of fun. Yeah. yeah. And I think Butters is probably the one that went under the radar a little bit, but he's tough as nails. Yeah. So the combination of those three is kind of a combination that you can take into the next five years really um, excitedly. Yeah. yeah. Through what has, I mean, in the end been a disappointing season to know that those three guys are with us and have signed. Yep. And particularly Connor. Like yeah. his talent is extraordinary and it's so exciting to watch him. Hell? Yeah. And it makes you proud to know, like, this guy's with us. Yeah. These kids are with us. Yeah. They they want to be here. I'm the same with, we're talking, like, the Carlton guys as well. It's like those kids, yeah. the Walshers and the um, Paddy Dows, and, like, they're with us. Yeah. Hopefully they don't go anywhere in a hurry. And then in, you know, a few years' time when they're battling these guys. And, I mean... Tom McCartan, James Rowbottom, Jordan Dawson. Not a bad group of guys at the Swans either. Um, um, low light? I had the unpredictability mm-hmm. and just going into not knowing what you were going to expect. Oh. Um, them dropping the higher profile players, not so much the, them doing it but them having to do it, like them getting to the point where they had to drop them or they felt they needed to make the statement. Um, I think when the Hoff got dropped, everyone was like, what is going on? Yeah. yeah. He is our boy. You know, what is happening? But it was a solid move because he, after round, test my memory, round four, round five, it was after his 250th, he just yeah. dropped. All of a sudden he just dropped. I'm like, what's going on with Hoff? Took a few weeks off, came back firing. So everyone criticised Ken for the choice, but it was the right choice. And so often you see that happen, like even, whether it's just, a confidence thing and then they need to go back and get 30 possessions and five goals, mm. whether it's the lesser intensity of the game mm. that they can just enjoy it, whether it's not having X amount of thousand people watching and they can just play footy 
or whatever it is, is that so often a week or two in the seconds and come back and... Mm. It was the same with Chunk as well, Charlie Dixon. Same thing. You know, we all love Charlie, even though he's the most frustrating player <laughs> to watch in the whole AFL. Like, how does a man whose hands are bigger than the football cannot take a mark? Like, it blows my mind. But when he does kick a goal and when he does take a mark... It's huge. ..your heart is filled with joy. And no man wants to perform better than Charlie Dixon. No man is more passionate about what he does and is, <laughs> wants to win more yeah. than he does. Like, you see his celebrations when anyone kicks a goal and you can see the veins <laughs> pulsing in him you know he's so happy and like that kind of enthusiasm makes you go yes yeah yes I love this yeah. but take a mark man <laughs> oh my god oh that's how I felt about Sam Reed. <laughs> the other low light I had was an email that the um sent out some members which just a little bit you crazy. showed me that yes a little bit crazy and Adelaide people are crazy. I'm sorry, Lisa. Oh, we we are. Fucking mental. <laughs> Dude, growing up in Adelaide, I don't think we have time for this, but it's a whole thing. And I think if you are like a footy supporter and you're not from Adelaide, it's really hard to understand it mm. and to understand the rivalry between Port and Crows and the history, which I've spent many an hour educating Jace on. Well, we are going to do an episode of I See It But I Don't Believe It with you talking about that, which <sighs> we can look forward to I'm like as well. stretching people. I'm, I'm, I'm here keen flexing, to learn. Yeah. getting into this. I've had many chats with my dad about this who got me into footy and took yeah. me to games and taught me about Port Adelaide history. Like my great-grandmother was a Port Adelaide supporter and that's how it's come down to me. Um, and a lot of feelings about the SA and FL. There's a lot there. <laughs> I'm, I look There's forward to, to having that conversation. Um, but yes, your, we are crazy. <laughs> what's your general feeling about the season, though? Is it kind of 50-50? Look, there's, if you want to find good points, you'll find them. Yeah. we got the kids. We've got the showdown win, like the Geelong win. But in general, you can't be that inconsistent. Yeah. You just can't be. You can't do that to the blood pressure of your fans and you can't do that to the general success of your footy club. Yeah. You know, it's it's not good enough and no Port Adelaide fan is happy with how we finished and how we performed. No yeah. Port Adelaide person anywhere is happy with it. If they'd got that better percentage and finished... No, literally, if they'd won one more game, they would have been in finals. Their percentage is better than Essendon's. They just Sorry, that's what I mean. If, if they had won... The final round. The game, would... How much different would Port Adelaide as a general feel have been if they'd snuck into finals and then they would have played West Coast, West over, West Coast there. over there? I mean, we'll repeat. just finishing it. Oh, <laughs> don't even, don't, don't even. I just brought up about my blood pressure and my general anxiety <laughs> and I was there at Adelaide Oval. I when that goal that. was kicked after the siren and my, I think I cried in my dad's shoulders when that, that happened. I that from a pub in Singapore on an iPad. <laughs> I went over to Adelaide with my dad oh my and my best mate and it's no good. It's it wasn't no good. a free kick. And then you lost Pollock. Anyway. Um, Don't do this to me. I'm sorry. Afternoon. I'm just looking. Uh, <laughs> improved, decline or plateau? Uh, I think that South Australian football in general is in a rut with both teams missing the finals and both being in a bit of shambles. I think their issues are completely different. Different, though. but Absolutely we're talking different. about South Australian football. We're not talking about like... Men's football, South Australian men's football. Um, Don't get AFL. me started on well, that either. Well, just the fact that... <laughs> anyway. Don't get me started on Aaron Phillips in a Crows Guernsey. <laughs> I, got, I can't cry any more tears. <laughs> 
I think um, I think we'll see a plateau just because I can't call anything based on how inconsistent they've been. Mm. They literally won 11 games, lost 11 games, went on and off for something like eight weeks uh, yo-yoing between the two. You can't make predictions off the back of that. Um, I think their off-season will be very interesting, though. How many of the older guys stick around? How many players can you get through to support those three young guys coming through? Mm. That'll tell us Mm. a lot, I think. But I'm saying plateau purely because... There's zero consistency about this team, and I don't want to make a call based on inconsistency. It's, it's uh, even as a supporter, it's too, way too unpredictable. Yeah, um, and I'm, I'm more interested to see what comes of that email from KT, the CEO, and what they're actually going to do to try and re-engage their fan base. Yeah, um, and their supporter base. Sorry, at least they're trying to re-engage them and not telling them to fuck off. When I read that email, I was like, okay. It's not flawless, but they did something. Yeah. yeah. They engaged their fans. They tr- they are attempting to do something and they're acknowledging that mistakes have been made and that has gone a long way already, but now they need to follow up. Mm, totally. It's, uh, yeah, I think that parallel with Carlton in a couple of years in the sense that excited with the kids, the older guys will kind of fade out. Not fade out, but like... Retire. You're kind of like... I will also say next year is our 150th anniversary. And how many times do you get to wear the prison bars? Twice. It's better than none. I'm being positive. It's better than none. Yeah. Um, That's exciting. It is exciting and it's it's going to be a big year for the club and for the fans. I think there's there's going to be a lot of events. There's going to be a lot of celebrations. There's going to be a lot of historical stuff, which Port Adelaide fans bloody love. Um, (laughs) So I'm really excited to see what happens on and off the field and it's just a really exciting year and it's a very proud year. Yeah, and that might be the X factor for them to really step it up a notch just because they know how historical it is. Mm. And I I think what KT was saying is that they have lost their way a little bit in terms of... By the Norwood flog. The Norwood flog, yes. <laughs> um, we'll get into that when we do the essay episode. Excellent. Um, but I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah. yeah. I've also and I'm got trying a, to remain as positive as possible. I've also got a, a second bet on with the same person. Oh, God. With the, uh, we know only, that I don't condone betting, but tell me. Well, this is between two consenting adults. Um, <laughs> the Pittard bet, but also a grand final bet that Carlton will make the grand final before Port Adelaide. You've told me about this one multiple mm, times. So you seem to think that Carlton are winning the twenty twenty flag, which um, well, the, we were having those conversations at the start yeah, he, of. He keeps getting pushed back a year, doesn't it? Babe? No, I'm just saying <laughs> the start of the year. At the start of this year, we were having this conversation. Right now, I'd probably say twenty twenty one. Sydney's winning twenty twenty. Don't worry. Um, let's talk about Hawthorne, the final non-finals team who finished ninth. With 11 wins, 11 losses, and a percentage of 108.7. I said they would finish 7th and actually finish ninth. I said 9 to 12. So Pretty close. Pretty I think close. I mentioned before that I got Port Adelaide. They were the only... Port Adelaide and Gold Coast were the two correct teams I yeah. picked 100%. See, I, so. I did Rangers, so I got... All of them right. No, I got... <laughs> no, no, Sydney and Melbourne ever got wrong. Um, play to watch. Mine was James Warple. Um, mm. He kind of became their goal, go-to player in the middle... And he filled that hole left by Tom Mitchell pretty well. Um, He didn't miss a game this year and he really consistently impacted both offensively and defensively. 
Um, next year, when they have got Warple, Mitchell, and O'Meara in there, I think it's quite dynamic. Each of them brings something different. Mitchell, I think, is, as we discussed, very much the in and under contested ball winner. And Warple can kind of play a little bit more outside ball. He's quick, he's agile, so that combination will be really good. And then O'Meara kind of supporting both sides. So I think Warple definitely did have a really impressive year. And I, I think he'll be right up there in the top five of their best and fairest. Who was your player? I had watched out for was Wingard to see how that would go. And when there was definitely the footage of him. He did one good thing all year. The, the arguments he was in with the Hawthorne oh, more experienced so crew, there was a lot of conversations we had about that's unsurprising behaviour from his time at Port. Well, isn't, know, yeah, isn't that wholly part of the reason why he left? Yeah, I think there were a lot of Port fans who were, you know, they were sad to see Polly and uh, Pittard go. A lot of people weren't sad to see Wingard go. I think there's a lot of untapped potential in that boy. Um, but there's a lot of ego mm. there and there's a lot of just, I don't know what's going on with him. And I some shit tats that he had to wear <laughs> out. Like that was a great story. Not happy the about year. not being able to wear the long sleeves. Yeah. I know that much. Um, the thing that, uh, and this goes back to the year before, I think Jarman Impey was a bigger loss for Port than Wingard was. 100% agree. I was about and to bring that up, actually. Yeah, there was so much more talk about Wingard than there ever was about Jarman Impey, but mm. Impey has been amazing yeah. for Hawthorne. Whatever Clarko has done, he has got the best out of him. Yeah. That's something that we couldn't do. He was good with us, but he's better with Hawthorne. He just feel, It feels like he's got that free run on the wing that he kind of gets to patrol the wing and it's his space in a way. Mm-hmm. And I think ownership for him is really important. For Just from watching him play, he has more ownership over his game than he ever did at Port, mm-hmm. which is really exciting. But plays for Hawthorne so dead to me. <laughs> um, play to fall out of favour slash under the pump. I had Paul Puopolo. He had mm. one really good game. I would be surprised uh, if he played next year. No, I mean, really I think good he was as much... In, yeah, outstanding, but I think there was... a Patches where he was very solid. like. But is that what you want? Like, Hawthorne have a really old list. Really, It's second oldest in the competition behind West Coast. Is he the kind of player that you want to keep on or do you want to try and get young guys through? Because I don't think Hawthorne have heaps of depth. So They do don't have to... some of the exciting guys that other teams in this bracket with, you know, the Port Adelaide's. Um, Carlton's and Sydney we've spoken about. But I don't think they have the depth. It's not just about those couple of guys that are exciting. They no, but I mean the like depth. the young guys coming up that they go, right, they might not have the depth today, but uh, one to two years yeah. development. But it just, I don't, I don't, Hawthorne doesn't strike me as a team that's got a huge amount of exciting and developing emerging talent because no. it's the, the top the end The only ones still. are Mitch Lewis... James Warple, Sicily, but he's not even that. He's he's, he's, he's middle age. You know, like they don't have that. Like and he Daniel was great, Howe but you still want to elbow him to the head. Sicily, oh, he can leave, but he's very talented. But fuck, um, <laughs> he's on the list of most punchable faces. He's like Scott. Thompson. He's in the top ten. He's in the top ten, absolutely. Um, they got rid of Ryan Burton to get Wingard in. Burton's been amazing, I think, for Port when he's not injured. Yes, when he's been on, he's been on. Yeah, yeah. Whereas Wingard, eh. Like, what? They they seem to be really determined that they're still within this premiership phase, 
get in those players that just top up the list rather than genuinely develop the young guys. And they've missed... So, feelings about Hawthorne. People... You've got a lot of strong negative feelings about Hawthorne anyway. That's true. (laughs) Um, They've been a little bit more positive this year because they love Mitchell Lewis. But Hawthorne, Geelong and Sydney have always been considered those three really consistent... Yeah. successful teams, right? And Geelong in 2015 dropped out of finals for one year, came back in and have continued to be successful. We're kind of seeing that with Sydney this year. Hawthorne have dropped out twice um, in that same period, but people still say Alistair Clarkson is a genius. Mm-hmm. He rebuilds on the run. He does this, he does that. But Sydney and Geelong don't get that credit. As part of that, Sydney and Geelong have blooded so much young talent that it's actually crazy that they've been as successful as they have. Hawthorne have not done that. Hawthorne have brought in 25, 26, 27-year-olds from other clubs, chucked them in there, and they've just been okay. They snuck into the top four last year. They finished ninth this year. They haven't really fired a shot. Let's have a look, though. So after the bye, after they played you in round 14, you guys got up by four goals. Yep, it was great. (laughs) <laughs> Their season since that, I think there's a lot of teams that are glad that they missed out on percentage. They beat the Eagles, then they beat Collingwood, then they beat the Dockers, then they beat the Cats. They lost to the Lions by four goals, and they lost to North Melbourne. Then they beat the Giants, Suns, whatever, and then the Eagles. Yeah, yeah. So I've... that is a really great back half there. And if they had kicked, you know, maybe that, um, I don't know, maybe if they hadn't, I don't know, there's a few games there where if they lost by a few less goals, they would have been in the finals. And there's probably a few teams there who are very glad that Hawthorne... Well, they missed out by a game. If the... Not percentage, they missed out oh, by a on, game. Oh, hang I've got the wrong the one up there. Point, point is that there are plenty of those teams that are glad that they missed out on finals. But, but what I'm saying is Hawthorne haven't rebuilt their team. They haven't blooded young players. They've created this mismatch of a team from other clubs while they still have the second oldest list. So if I were a supporter of Hawthorne, I would probably be frustrated by the lack of young talent that see that I'm looking at for the next 10 years, not just for the next season. You know, like Geelong, you look at their young players and yes, they're up the top of the ladder, but also look at those young players that are going to be there for the next 10 years. Look at Sydney that we've obviously talked about in depth because of me being here, but the, they, they've got talent for the next 10, 15 years, and you can see who the next captain is. Hawthorne, where is that? They've got Ben Stratton as their captain who was suspended for pinching a guy and for stomping on someone. They've got Sean Burgoyne, who we don't know if he's going to be there next yep. year. Jared Rufford's obviously retired, and we will talk about that. Who else is there? Scully's 27. Tom Mitchell is 25. O'Meara's 25. That's their core team. Wingard's, what, 24, 25? Yeah, about that. Yeah, so they've got this middle-range team that is just kind of okay. Mm. And the young guys aren't the guys, other than Warple and Lewis, they're not the guys that are going to push that team into the next bracket. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Whereas with Sydney, you can see, yes, they dropped out this year, but... James Rowbottom is going to be a 200-game player and he's had a massive impact in the middle. Tom McCartan has come out and been able to be a swingman and kicked goals. Nick Blakey's field kicking is out of this world and he's going to be an amazing forward wingman for them. Who's saying that about any Hawthorne players other than Warple and Lewis? And Sicily. And Sicily. 
Like, Daniel Howe is an okay player. He's a tagger. That's about it. What other young players do they have on their list? Impey's amazing, but he's 25, 26. He's mm-hmm. not young. And they're not giving those young guys games in years that they should be. Yeah. Let me just... That's my rant about <laughs> on having an old list. Whereas West Coast old list still has a lot of, like, Oscar Allen and Liam Ryan and Willie Real. They still have all those young guys that are going to bridge that gap between the old and the young. I mean, there's no doubt going to be a lot of focus on what happens with them in the off-season. Because of Clark, because of his high profile. Yeah. It's going to be so much focus on what they recruit, what they do. So their list, the f- I think their list management gets uh, given leeway because of Clarkson. Mm. If that was any other coach with that list profile, they would be under so much pressure right now. Yeah, he probably – he's got the runs on the board – in the past so that he gets that little bit of extra leniency for a not strong finals presence. But Well, last year they made top four but went out in straight sets. And no we one, all enjoyed it. Uh, thoroughly. <laughs> I was in the game where they got knocked down and it was amazing. But, like, no one said anything. They're like, oh, yeah, they're just rebuild it, it, rebuilding. It's mm. fine. And now they've missed finals and no one's really said anything. I don't – it frustrates me that – they're able to go along their merry way, whereas Melbourne, Simon Goodwin has had the hammer brought down on him by the media and the fans when he hasn't because had half of his team available. But it is a much more disappointing because there was the hope. But so. yeah, I understand that. But what I'm saying is the perception the media gives to passive fans creates animosity towards people who aren't overly in control of a lot of the things that are happening to them. So Clarkson is very much in control of having an old list, not debuting young players and that sort of stuff. He's very much in control of that and they've gone out in straight sets and now missed finals. Simon Goodwin isn't in control of the fact that Aaron Vandenberg was four to six weeks pre-season and then never even played a VFL game. He's He's not in control of the fact that Michael Hibbert broke his collarbone and was their most important defender. You know, like, that's the comparison that I mean, is that uh, this is me doing a media rant again. But and it's basically the same way we started this whole conversation. So, But you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, the media perception of Hawthorne is that it's this holy thing that can't be touched and whatever Clarko does is fine and we will forgive it. But if any other coach had this list and had this result two years in a row, they would be under pressure. It happened to... Look at the clubs around them. I mean, Port's Ken's under heaps of pressure at Port. Don Pike's under even more. Woosh even, is under pressure. Even Woosh is under pressure and Brad he made Scott finals. got the arse. He deserved um, it, but yes, yeah. agree. Ross is gone. So I'm going to jump back and to our all, list. And they all have younger lists than what Hawthorne do. Mm. Sorry. So going to the highlights and lowlights. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I've only got a few more minutes Tangents. before I've got to Oh, be, yeah, you uh, really do need to leave. Sorry. Um, I think the highlight for the year, there was two. One was a lesser one. I think the game against GWS with the snow was a real just nice. Yeah. The way the crowd just kind of laughed when it came down. And the down. commentators, they were like, literally, I know you have a lot of feelings about certain commentators, but the fact that I was Brian just like, Taylor. This, is just, this is just awesome. Well, Daisy's sitting on the boundary and them saying, oh, you're going to come inside soon. And she's like, no, 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 I want to be out here for this. And she sat out in the Well, look, that goes back to, was it, was it her or was it one of the other riders that went in in a hailstorm? And they were, they were referencing that kind of outrage that 
Chewen in and some of the other people were called. I think it might have been Daisy as well. It wasn't her. Um, it it was, was someone else that was on that commentary panel, though. It might have been Richo. It was someone else. I'm like, oh, you know, you're on the boundary. You shouldn't be inside. And they were like, what the fuck? <laughs> You've got to... Like, it's sleeting outside. Yeah. But I think Daisy's She's superb, amazing. So... Um, Roughhead. And then Roughhead. Yeah. Like, what amazing way. And the, 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 the best bit of that whole game was... With like two minutes to go, they had the ball out on the um, on the fifty, and they were looking for him, and he's still on the ground from the last inside fifty. Like, stuff it! I'm not getting up for this. I've just kicked <laughs> six, seven goals, whatever it was, and I've got no energy to get up for yeah. another one. I was like, come on, man! Like, you would have had more. You would have like it would have been the on the siren goal, and you just have got to get up one more time. But well, when Gunston took the mark in front of him and then turned around and realised, like, oh fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Straight away. But I think we had a lot of really good send-offs this year. More yep. than other years, I think. Um, yeah, the absolutely. Sanderlands and Ballantyne one. That was so... That oh, was so cute. I loved that mm. so much. And obviously all the swans. Um, mine also was Mitch Lewis getting that Rising Star nomination. I've gone on my rant. I love Mitch Lewis. I think he's amazing. I think he should have been getting games more consistently earlier yep. in the season. But once he started to get those games... He really stood up. He was taking contested marks and he was impacting the contest. Season low light, I said they've just been a bit of a nothing team for the season. Yeah. Um, and I'd probably... Yeah. They were there. They had some wins. They had some losses. They literally went 11-11, missed finals and... Eh. Did they debut anyone? They debuted like one player? Chenka? Yeah. And that's it, right? Uh... GF? Um, general feeling of the season, again, I went on my rant. Uh, improved decline or plateau in 2020? Lisa? I reckon decline. Yes, thank I reckon, you. I reckon You're my friend if, now. If he's going to not change his ways, then that's the only natural trajectory. I'm going back to, like I said about Brisbane last year, and it's not that the way you end the season is the way, you know, that old adage, the way you end the season is the way you start. That's not a hard and fast rule, but... The wins they had in that second half of the season against the teams who are going to be going deep into September is a great way to finish and should give them a good start to next year. So I, well, they'll probably make finals next year, but they'll be within plus or minus three of where they finish now. So they'll be like, they finish ninth, they'll be from sixth to twelfth. They'll be in that middle bracket and probably slide into the finals. But I but- don't think it's going to be a bad... Year for Hawthorne because much like but, Sydney and Geelong, it's just they just keep sitting there in the fucking middle. But do you want to just make finals and not really fire a shot, or do you want to load your team up on like this was their year to load their team up on talented young players to fire a shot next year, and they didn't do it. That's what I mean. Like the, this was their this year was their chance to do that, and they chose not to. Mm. Clarkson chose not to. Well, we'll see. We'll have to I, wait and I, see. Us. I think they plateau. They'll get a couple of injured players back, lose a few of the older guys and just continue as an okay team. When we get to March next year and we go back over what we've said now... Happy to. We can uh, see how far... Well, I'm interested to see where some players go. Yeah. I'm interested to see where Ed Langdon goes, hopefully to Melbourne. Whoever gets Ed Langdon wins trade period, is what I'm saying. Oh. Anyway... This has been a special edition of the Play On Review, uh, reviewing all the non-finalist AFLM teams of 2019. 
I've been Gemma Bassiani. We've very kindly had Lisa Fletcher here with us, who will be featuring on an episode of I See It But I Don't Believe It very soon. We've also had Jason Morrison back, Sweet. noted uh, How Goods Footy fan and future guest. <laughs> um, thank you for listening and keep listening to Play On Radio. We'll be back after the finals with a review of all the finals teams. Go footy. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.